All right, g'day team, and welcome to the Two Towers podcast, the Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game podcast. I'm Jordy, and I'm Albert, and this is episode sixteen. Sixteen, Battle Hardened, uh, is the tournament that we're going to be covering today. Well, are we covering it? Well, or do we have a cheeky special guest. Oh, you're giving away all the trade secrets, <laughs> Jordy. We are. We are, in fact, having a, a new guest. Yeah, uh, that's right. It's not Damien. It's not uh, Jim Keller. Uh, this is someone who you will have never heard on this podcast mm, before. Fresh face. Which is very exciting. Good to grow the circle of the Two Towers podcast correspondence. Basically, our goal is to get every single person in Victoria to become a correspondent. Yeah, so. <laughs> we, we, will, we will get to a point where we are no longer even part of the podcast and it just becomes the community. We'll both podcast. just be phased out. That's <laughs> Will become obsolete. Um, so, Geordie, who who are we getting to report for us? Uh, we got our mate Jono. Yeah, Jono. And there's a special tie here. There's there's a purpose behind all of this, isn't mm. there? Because yep. you and Jono have uh, had something of a gentleman's agreement between mm, a bit of a business transaction. Yeah. So, uh, tell us, Geordie, what is the nature of this business transaction? Well, I mean, we talked about it plenty in episode 14. That's true. We did foreshadow this for, <laughs> true. you know, two episodes ago. <laughs> you you so already know what's up. You buried the lead and the lead was already there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this, uh, Jono is who I've done the commission for the Easterling army commission. Yeah. So, I uh, thought it would be a good opportunity to get him on the podcast to talk about it from his perspective as the person that's actually doing the commissioning. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because I think that's, that's a cool um, that's a cool perspective because I don't think it's often really talked about. No. From that perspective. Like, often I hear on other podcasts hearing from the commission painter. Well, that's exactly it. Because if, if somebody's so into the hobby, they're likely enough to be into enough to be doing the potting. Yeah. Um, rather yeah, yeah, than yeah. if I'm getting commissioned I'm yeah. probably not as invested yeah. in that regard anyway yeah. or like in this regard I should say yeah. so yeah you're right it's not often that you'll get the commissionee on, the on commissionee. board uh, and and so we're we're talking about Battle Hardened because this is the maiden voyage of this commissioned army yep. uh, into the into the, the world of competitive well, play it's the maiden voyage for the infantry the heroes have already won a tournament <laughs> so, Jono's got some heavy, some well, big boots to fill. It's good, uh, and it's on theme with the name of the tournament because they are already, in fact, battle hardened. Yes. Um, so, uh, on that note, battle hardened. What's it all about, Jordy? Yeah. So we've got uh, our, our old mate uh, Jacob Lucas of Conquest Creation fame. He's mm. running his big old tournament. Mm. This is his flagship one, as far as I know, uh, and it's seven fifty points. Right. Uh, which is nice and big. I think that's a good number. Yeah. But it's a two-dayer. Yes. And um, it's, I think, five games? Yeah, five games. Yeah. I like that concept because day two, you're already buggered. Yeah. So to make day two a more bit more relaxed, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. Not relaxed in how easy the games are, but relaxed in the fact that the whole day yeah. is going to be just like four or five hours long instead of the second day being like a nine-hour slug. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Although, having said that, 
neither of us could attend. <laughs> um, for me, it was, you know, getting two days in a row is, you know, that's rare as hen's teeth. So I just and couldn't do it. And for me, it was, I couldn't be bothered doing a two-dayer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I, I've got a certain amount of energy for two days just throughout the year. Yeah. And uh, it's normally spent on your Silmarils yeah. or your your Masters and stuff like that. So It's hard getting towards the tail end of the year as well. Like, yeah. you know, I find the, the, the time kind of evaporates pretty quickly towards the back end of the year. And so, yeah, sometimes uh, you just have to, to call it and yep. uh, find a correspondent to go to a tournament for you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I think that that probably covers everything that we need to for people's understanding of the tournament. Yeah, um, it's simple. There's no special rules, is how I would say. Yeah, it's a kind of a straight up competitive tournament, yep, right? For sure, um, which is great. Um, so, shall we now segue into? <laughs> yeah, because I think segways you're supposed to just shoehorn in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's segue yeah. into uh, your chat with Jono. Yeah, seamless segue. Excuse me. I have a sword. Please accept it. I offer you my service, Theoden King. And gladly, I accept it. You shall be Mariadog, Esquire of Rohan. Hey team, welcome back. I am your host, Albert, and today we're mixing it up. We've got a guest host on, and that host is Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. G'day. G'day. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you. Fantastic. Great to have you on board. Now, uh, this episode is going to be slightly different. We're not going to be hearing uh, the dulcet tones of Geordie's voice. Um, he will be joining us in spirit, though, uh, because he has a lot to do with your army, Jonathan. Isn't that right? That is correct. That is correct. Um, I had Geordie commission paints a absolutely stunning Easterling army, which we can touch on later. <laughs> yeah, that will that will be uh, the main focus uh, for for the episode. This episode, if I am correct in thinking this, will be episode number sixteen. Let's 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 go with that. Um, who knows with the scheduling and uh, everything that will happen between when we're recording now and when this episode actually releases, but I'm calling it now. It's going to be episode 16. So uh, on to the, the main topic of today's conversation, which, as you pointed out, Jonathan, is all about commission painting, um, but from the perspective of the person um, that is getting their army commissioned. Now, obviously, Geordie ja and I um, talk at length about how we uh, like to go about painting our uh, models, but um, it's it'll be an interesting opportunity to get some understanding of what it's like on the other side of the fence, uh, being the person that's actually commissioning people. But before we get into the, the commission painting side of things, um, Jonathan, why don't you give listeners just a kind of a brief intro in terms of your hobby background and um, how you came into this great game of the Lord of the Rings? 
Wonderful, wonderful. Well, um, thanks for having me. And I guess it all started when I was but a wee lad. Maybe I was, um, maybe this was mid 2000s. The two towers had just come out. Um, my cousins actually had a Helm's Deep kind of themed battle diorama that they were making. And I just absolutely fell in love with the models at the time um being an uncoordinated 10 year old i probably batch painted some horrible looking numenorians which i still have today to be honest um i've since obviously taken a step back from the hobby because i didn't know what it was come maybe 2018 i fell in love with it again there was a quite a large, well, I I like to say large because to me it felt like an entire world. Um, but it was a little community down in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne who were really passionate and really into Lord of the Rings. And I thought, hey, I've seen this game before. Why don't I give it a shot? And well, the rest is history. And mm-hmm. I've been casually hooked. Um, yeah. I would definitely classify myself as a bit of a casual hobbyist and a, a casual fan i'm by no means a law master or a law expert however i love the game i love the movies i love people telling me about the law and explaining things to me um, and learning new things um, i also really really love the community and the fact that the community has been so open um, so welcoming and so enthusiastic has only inspired me to want to get into it more and more over the years. So I think my first tournament was maybe Masters 2018 when it was still in Victoria, I think. And I got demolished there. Um, but it was the people that made it like, if I was to give a uh, best best bloke award i'd give it to every single opponent i faced it was like the 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 quality was was just there um i guess in terms of the hobby side of things i would say that my painting i I always loved um playing more than painting Mm. and obviously tournaments would kind of force my painting hand more often than i'd like to admit um but i I, everyone everyone needs a good deadline right I mean, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, it's... there's no greater motivator. I mean, I'm I'm going through that at the moment. Like this tournament that um, we're going to this weekend that isn't the one that you're going to, which we'll cover in a bit. But, um, you know, I very foolishly decided I would take a new army to it. And so that's forced my hand to mm. do a mad dash. And, and that's kind of, unless you have a tournament, how else do you get lots of things painted, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's kind of interesting though, because you're like, ooh, shiny new stuff I'm going to show my friends and surprise them with at this new tournament. Yeah. And it's like, and then you fall into the trap logistically and you're like, oh man, there's like 30 bases to go and like, yeah. (laughs) That's it. It, It's always that like last 15% that you completely underestimate. It's like, oh, I've only got to like, you know, paint the crest on all the shields. Oh wait, there's 30 shields damn it and yeah, like you're there definitely. until the wee hours of the the night trying to get them yeah all done. it's 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 interesting how like you you think oh try and micro break it down and then it just blows out <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. 
So that's, I think you, it, it's interesting to hear you say that because I kind of had a, a, a little bit of a similar journey back into the hobby. I kind of got back in about 2018 time as well um, and was kind of very heavily into the painting and modeling side of things and only just tentatively kind of dipped my toes back into the gaming um, side of things, which has obviously rapidly increased over the past <laughs> few years. But the the sentiment that I totally share with you that you just brought up then was that kind of the first tournament and um, wanting to award everyone kind of the best sports uh, in terms of games and just the, the testament of the, the local community in terms of how um, welcoming and... Um, you know, just how friendly everyone is. Completely, completely agree. Um, in terms of getting things painted, though, why don't we transition into to talking about um, the commission painting side of things? Because you've sure. you've you've made the um, the perhaps strategic decision to get somebody else to paint your models ahead of a, a tournament deadline, as opposed to yes. me being here as a chump at the end trying to paint all of my <laughs> own stuff. Yeah. So. How long ago did you um, uh, first um, talk to Geordie about um, commissioning the the models? And what was the process that you went through in terms of actually selecting a commission painter? Okay. Um, so I will preface this a little bit with um, I've – it's always been a little bit of a touchy subject whether or not I get a commission painter – to paint me an army for a tournament mm. um, and as well for, for heavy tournament use because I do plan on using this army for the next few tournaments um, because I always felt like I should not claim something that is my own and I would by no means claim something that would be my own. So that kind of sentiment of I don't want to um, claim, I don't want to be the guy to say, oh, hey, I painted this stuff when in actual fact I didn't. I didn't want to be like dishonest in that way and that kind of sentiment had stopped me from looking into getting things commission painted for a long while however I thought to myself hey like if I just preface it and if I'm just completely open about it like I should be um and just like really just embrace it as it is because it's not something that's frowned upon I had a weird thing in my head like who gets their armies commission painted for tournaments? They're they're lazy or whatever, but um, uh, it's it's just a it's it's a normal thing. Um, yeah, and I guess, it's pretty I guess common because, as well, right? Yeah, like, like there's plenty of people, and that's the, the lovely thing about this hobby is that if you don't enjoy the painting side of things, then you don't have to do it. You don't have to mm. suffer through it. You can you can yeah. focus on the the aspect of the hobby that you enjoy and that's what it should be about at the end of the day right i 100 percent agree i 100 percent agree um so i had seen geordie's armies at a few tournaments in 2021 last year or <laughs> in the in the few that we could have and i have seen his um painting style around the tournament scene and i just fell in love with it um Every time he'd bring an army, I'd always vote for it for best painted. <laughs> That's and cool. I just, uh, <laughs> and I just, I just, I fell in love with um, his style um, and I thought it was really unique. And I thought that it was um, something worth getting commissioned because I know, how, how do I put it? Um, a lot of, a lot of, not to, not to discredit other commission painters, 
but I feel as though um, a lot of commission painters perhaps um, may paint to what's on the box art, whereas yep. Geordie's style um, is so unique and different um, that I haven't seen that I just I wanted <laughs> I wanted it. It was I wanted I wanted a piece of that cake. I think it's, that's a really interesting point, and I think that's a, a good one to kind of expand on this idea of um, box art versus, uh, like, there's a difference between going to a painter for their paint style versus going to uh, a commissioned painter saying, I want, you know, a box of Rohan riders and I want them to look like they do on the on the box like those are two quite different um motivating factors and i think from uh, having talked to geordie in the past he basically only takes on commissions where people want him to paint his style because his thought is like well this is how i paint if if you want me to paint for you that's what i'm going to paint so mm. um so but, but it is it, it is a very interesting one so so you you'd seen Geordie's paint jobs around. Um, you obviously took a liking to the style. How did you actually broach the topic with Geordie in terms of um, getting him to to paint up some stuff for you? So it would have been the afternoon of Silmarillion twenty twenty two. I can't I can't remember if it was at the end of twenty twenty. It was if it was at the start of twenty twenty two, or if it was at the end of twenty one. I think it was like early. It was like like March or it would have been real I, early 22. I think it was this year. Yeah, 22. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Team Team Mordor, who should have won. But that, <laughs> <laughs> Team Mordor, um, I, I don't know. It kind of came as a shoot from the hip because I was like, I saw his beautiful army and the ogres and I was like, no, nah, I'll just, I'll just ask and I'll just go for it. So I asked him and I approached him at the tournament. Hey, would you um be interested in commission painting and Easterling force for me when the dragon emperor and all of the new um, Easterling models from Forge world come out. Um, and he agreed. Yeah. Cool. So that was kind of how it went. I guess it was a very non-formal laissez-faire way yeah. to approach him. Um, but kind of going into this, I knew that what I wanted was his paint style and his flair on it and his, you know, his, I wanted his personality on the Eastling models. Which I think when, dear listener, you see the photos, um, you definitely got that. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, which which is awesome. Uh, so it's kind of good to hear that that's, that's what you wanted from the process. But I suppose there's, there's, there's a big gap between, you know, you, A, first deciding that you wanted Geordie to, to paint and then, um, you know, striking up the courage to go and ask him in person, which I think is actually the best way to do it if you can, because um, you know, if you're like if you're emailing or texting or you know messaging people um, online, I think there's probably room, especially in that initial phase, for um, kind of miscommunication or um, you know getting your wires crossed in terms of. Um, like availability, timing, what each person wants from that commission. And, and that miscommunication can probably lead to um, complications down the line. So once Geordie agreed to it, um, 
what was the kind of time frame that you um, had? Because at that point, am I right in thinking that the Dragon Emperor, all of those guys hadn't been released? Um, did you Correct. give Geordie like a first batch of Easterling Warriors for him to get started on? Or like, what was the process in terms of figuring out, okay, how many models am I going to um, need in this finished army um, and kind of write out a list? Or did it evolve over time? I feel like um, I, when you say writing a list for commission paint, I kind of think of myself, oh, you're a stooge. You should have just written a list instead of getting all the models together and being like, here you go, Jordy. <laughs> because um, that's kind of that's kind of what I did. I just got together all these stilling models that I had um, built and whatnot. And I just sent them off to him. Um, I got them delivered to him via a friend. Um, but I guess I should preface this by saying in terms of timelines, Geordie made it very clear that, um, the painting style would be slow and meticulous due to the models in the armor. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be a fast process because he didn't take on a lot of commission projects. Um, so I could kind of understand instead of if I can kind of make a bit of an analogy for it it's kind of like um i didn't want it to be transactional i mm. didn't want it to feel transactional um yep. i wanted i definitely knew that it would be a lengthy process and that we would need to build a, a positive relation throughout the process totally. um that's so interesting that you say that because i totally agree and i think that that's what i was trying to get at there before about um you know, the starting a conversation online as opposed to in person is you kind of need to have a degree of trust, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a, that like this person's going to deliver on what they're saying they are, but, you know, you're handing over all of your models and it could be some time before you have those back in your hand and you want to you want to make sure that you're both on the same page around what that process looks like. Mm. Um. So in yeah, so I, I didn't really have too much of a time constraint or a or a deadline for Geordie just because I knew um he did he did mention to me that he had some life things going on, such as moving around. Um mm. so I knew obviously life gets hard and life gets in the way. So uh before I went to Geordie uh with this project, I already had a, a color scheme in mind and when the defensive um the north came was announced i kind of thought to myself geez i'd love to have an easterling force that looks like they've come straight from rune um and invaded um erebor mm -hmm. and i was thinking to myself what would look cool because i love snowy rocky bases but then i would love to see like the tropical sandy kind of guys like juxtaposed against that kind of dark dingy backdrop and how that would pop but i also didn't quite want to go red because i've painted with red quite a lot and i just wanted something different so i thought about green i thought about blue um but then i kind of ended on teal mm. as a bit of an interesting um primary color and so i really just went to geordie with a couple primary colors that being teal um, kind of sandy khaki for the linens, um, obviously black for the black dragons, um, and 
purple as a secondary color. And I know Jordy has a particular way of doing purple. And I quite like the way, I quite love the way he does his purple. So I'd given him a couple primary colors. Yeah. And I said, look, you're you're the artist in this. Um, I want you to put your artistic flair on it. And I wanted to make it clear that I wanted to give him creative freedom to take it in whichever way he wanted, because I also wanted it to be an enjoyable process for him. Mm, mm. There's something to be said about, um, because, you know, my limited experience of uh, doing commission work, I, I don't paint models for people because I don't think that I could ever um, hand over a painted model after I'd finished um, mm. painting it. But I have done quite a lot of terrain commissions um, in the past. And um, I think there's something to be said about giving someone... So uh, in the past, when people have given me creative freedom, um, it's always been a more enjoyable process. And and again, if people aren't constantly um, pestering you about, oh, is it done yet? Can you send me some updates? It's like, you know, it'll get done and it'll be all the better <laughs> mm, <laughs> if it's exactly. done with enjoyment. Uh, and within that, your time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it sounds like you... Um, approached it in a way that would enable Geordie to have the most amount of fun possible whilst whilst mm. doing it, which is which is really cool. Um, in terms of that initial uh, paint scheme that you mentioned there, throughout the process, did that color palette evolve or change in any way whilst Geordie was painting the models? Um, I think we experimented with the teal. A little bit but that was that was pretty much that was pretty much it um the color palette didn't evolve all that much um i guess there were a couple executive decisions i wanted him to make in regards to the heroes and they turned out fantastic um but it more or less um well, what were those executive decisions just out of interest if you can remember them uh i think the styling on Rutabi's cape, yep. the little, um, the color schemes of the black dragon knight and the captain, the because they didn't have gold armor in the end, did they? They no, had no. silver armor. Yeah, right? I wanted them. Yeah, I wanted them to be almost completely like. I just wanted to them to look like juggernauts of the emperor. I wanted them to look like these imposing characters these large and forces of the emperor's will um mm. and i feel like i've i maybe gave geordie a few key words and then we we went for it and it turned out amazing mm. um i guess i i said to him as well on one of them like i wouldn't mind having some sanskrit um engraved um in areas that would pop and he chose what and where to, yeah, to cool. put it and it just turned out wonderful great great so in terms of the army itself now you said before um you know you you handed over all your miniatures to geordie and he kind of worked his way through it i actually think that that's the way to do it personally as well because um i don't know about you but um 
you know, this the the joy of this game is being able to create armies at different points levels and also mm-hmm. just create different army lists. Right, that's I agree. a ho- that's a hobby in itself. So, um, if you're going to hand over your models for a commission painter, chances are you want to get it all done in one hit because then all of the models look as cohesive and coherent in terms of the paint scheme as possible. Um, And then that gives you the ability to um, construct any list that you want out of all the models that you have. So I think that's the right approach. Um, In terms of the the model count, how many models in total did you uh, end up um, sending over to Geordie? Roughly. Um, Pre... Before the Black Dragon, sorry, before the Dragon Emperor and his retinue of 18 um, Black Dragons, I think I sent over maybe close to 30 or close to 40 yeah. miniatures. Yeah, cool. It was it was quite a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And so was it majority infantry, like, or did you have some cataphracts in there as well? So, yeah, it was six cataphracts, um, three chariots. And a whole bunch of infantry. Yeah. Chariots as well. Interesting. Okay. Um, so it sounds like um, the the process was um, kind of slowly evolving over, what, the course of about four or five months? I think so. I've, I've kind of lost track of the timing <laughs> of it, but it, it, it would be about three or four months, yeah. Yeah, okay. And throughout that process, I'm assuming, was Geordie sending you kind of update pics and, and um, uh, you know, different different shots of all the models as they were getting painted up? Um, there was a little bit of radio silence for a while, um, and then it really picked up. Um, I did not pester Geordie for updates or anything like that. I kind of just let him send me photos and shots and ask questions about decisions as he got to them. Cause I, I didn't like, like you touched on before, I knew that 100% if I were to pester him about the project, because it was such a large project, he would no longer enjoy painting them. And if he were to no longer enjoy painting them, like it would become a chore. And I feel like he wouldn't be honest to himself in painting them to his standard of quality. Mm. I've got to say, Jonathan, you sound like the best client slash customer um, ever. <laughs> <laughs> would you Would you like to commission? I would like to commission you a, a board sometime then. Yeah, man, <laughs> I'll 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 make a board for sure. Uh, timing Timing will be slow, but it'll be awesome. No, yeah. um, it's um. It's really cool to hear that um, you know you you've taken that that approach, and I think at the end of the day, um, you probably come out the other side of it with a much better product um, or much better army. Um, I believe so. Oh, I was just going to say, at the end of the day, this is more than just hobby. This is like Geordie's art, and so you can't rush art. So you just got to let it happen naturally. It's a really good point, um, and I think that perhaps. You know, you you went into this um, commissioning an artist as opposed to um, wanting to buy a product. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And difference there, and and you mentioned it at the beginning. You know, not wanting to have kind of a transactional relationship. Um, I think that's 
that 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 definitely shows in the final um, product um, of of the pieces that you got um, commissioned. You you obviously saw some photos um, throughout the process, um, but what was it like uh, actually receiving the the models once they were fully done? Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, I was a bit. I was very much blown away and speechless. Like all I wanted to do was sit down and just like look at them. If if that's not, um, yeah, I just. It's like what I had in my mind and what I, what I had kind of imagined kind of like almost, yeah, what I had in my head and the pictures I had imagined were completely blown out of the water by the project when I saw it in its, well, in its 750 point entirety. Mm. Um, And I, I could not be more happy with how, everything came together and it just, it, it definitely um, solidified or solidified the fact that you, you do have to wait for quality and wait for perfection. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and patience that's, pays off. It, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think part of the reason just kind of getting a little bit uh, meta in, in the discussion for a minute. One of the reasons that I'm drawn to the hobby is that it's a tactile thing, right? And that you pick up a model and you can appreciate it. And there's no substitute for that. Even if you have, you know, the best photo set up with the lighting just right, there's still, you, you're, you're, you can't engage with it um, on a screen the way that you can when you've got the model or the mm. terrain or whatever it is in your hand. And so I You're think right. that's, that's fundamental. And so it's really cool to hear that, that that process or that that moment of actually seeing everything in the flesh for the first time was this real mm. kind of the, revelatory. The, ta- the tangibility of it, like of it just materializing is, is there is oh, it's such a great feeling but then i played a couple games with them and got smashed <laughs> <laughs> and brought right back down to earth yeah 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 <laughs> i was like i got this painted by geordie they should be invincible <laughs> uh, you just got to check your dice uh, then in that yeah game. then you gotta you gotta get those those dice nice nice and warmed up in the microwave then 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 you'll be unstoppable yeah um, so You've you've played with them uh, a few times, but you're taking them to their first tournament this coming weekend. Is that right? Correct. So, what's the tournament that you're heading to? I am heading to Jacob's Conquest Creations 750 point Battle Hardened tournament. Yeah, and it's a two day event. Is that right? I believe it is a two day event. Um, I believe it's only oh. I'm not sure if it's 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 three rounds on the first day. I can't remember if it's two or three rounds on the second day. It's a big one. Yeah, um, yeah. Big undertaking. Um, and you you said you've managed to get a couple of practice games in with the Easterlings. Um, so you you're you're not going in cold at least, right? Yes, yes. I've I've definitely stress tested them in a a bunch of multiple ways. It's uh, it's funny. I thought I thought the dragon imp is invincible, and then I let him get killed, and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tell but, me what what was the 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 beast that was able to take down the uh, the dragon emperor? Um, it was a, a, a 
how shall I say, um, very poor positioning and too much faith. A man after my own heart. That's generally how I tend to get myself into trouble. Yeah, <laughs> on the tabletop. But, um, yeah. Plus the, the the dice. The dice. It is. It is a game of dice, and um, that it is. Sometimes they roll the other way. That it is. So um, you're going into um, battle hardened. Um, Seven hundred and fifty points. How many points in total did you end up go, uh, getting commissioned? Like all all the models in total? Was it um, all the models? To... Um, the ones that are currently painted, because he's Geordie still has another batch to go. Um, mm. Currently, it is the seven fifty point list I'm taking to the tournament that's painted. Yeah. Okay. Okay. At the end of it, how how many points roughly do you think it will, will it get up to that kind of thousand point? I mark? think it will get up to around about a thousand points yeah yeah cool i suppose that's a that's an interesting one because um have you had the discussion with geordie around um down the track if you expand things um if he's willing to kind of paint them up because uh, i'm assuming you want all of them to to be matching in all their their splendid mm. glory on the tabletop right definitely definitely um i haven't talked to him about that i've already started speaking to him about future projects um okay. i'm sure he would not turn down six ninjas. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm, I'm certain <laughs> he painted he a lot of them paint. recently. So uh, I, I, I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. <laughs> but um, I hope I hope he wouldn't turn down six ninjas. But that's all I would do because once once they're once the project's done, I should have enough points that they're good. They're done. Yeah. They'll, yeah. as you said before, I'd be able to play around and make whatever list I one yeah yeah which is the i i guess the end goal there um i suppose uh one question i would have um for our listener from the listener's perspective is what would you what advice would you give to someone uh who was thinking about getting some commission painting done for themselves hmm so uh, what advice would i give i guess be patient and do your research. Pick a commission painter whose work and artistic style you like and you enjoy. And then give them a little bit of creative freedom because you would more likely than not be pleasantly surprised with your end result. So um, after you got the models in your hand, I guess one of the and you had this great um moment of kind of uh, admiring all of all of the paint jobs in in their their glory in the flesh were there any pieces that kind of stood out or surprised you and not not even necessarily the heroes right because obviously Ritabi and the dragon emperor and um even um Oh, what's the the sorcerer's name? Is it Brogia? Brogia. Um, like they're all stunning models, and they're they're beautiful in their own right. But are there are any of the other models that kind of jumped out at you, and you were kind of surprised with the quality of the paintwork, or just some of the detail that maybe you didn't notice when they weren't painted. What really took me by surprise and really swept me up, swept me away was the shields on the rank and file foot soldiers. I'm sure dear listener, if you will check out the Instagram, some lovely photos will be up. 
Um, but you'll notice that the shields have this almost ombre kind of blended hue to it, almost as if to imitate like a like a rising or a setting sun that were obviously teal, but just the just the way that the the shields came together and the way that the the teal hue kind of like rested upon it. I I don't know how to describe it, but you can definitely check it out on the Instagram. It'll um, definitely show through in the images, and I completely agree. And I actually talked to Geordie about this off air. And that was one of the the pieces, or maybe we even talked about it in a previous episode when we briefly touched on it. Um, that was something that he kind of said he had never considered doing it in that way and was really surprised at just how striking and effective it is. And I completely agree. And I, I love that metaphor of the kind of the the rising sun, it, albeit a teal rising sun, um, and it that kind of glittering horde idea. I think yeah. on, the, on the tabletop, that that's gonna look yeah. amazing, right? Because it's when mm. it's one of those effects that up close, just as a singular model, you can appreciate the the artistry in in the the blend and the gradient of the paintwork. Um, but then on the tabletop as a whole, it still looks really striking at a distance, um, which is amazing to to kind of get both of those because often. Um, you know, a model that looks really great up close, you might lose some of that detail or the impact of that detail at a great distance, you know, when it's on the tabletop. Uh, and that's not the case here. Definitely not. When they're, especially when they're all together side by side in their phalanx formations, it, mm -hmm. yeah, it just, um, it definitely expands itself. Mm. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, was there any other models that kind of stood out? Did, have, have you had any of the the ninjas painted up or is Geordie still in the process of painting? No, I, um, I hadn't gotten him. I hadn't purchased any ninjas, but I was just saying for, for future add-ons, that may be uh, a future add-on for ninjas. Yeah. Um, I, any other, the, obviously the, the heroes were done superbly um i guess a, a, a sleeping hero the captain the humble easterling captain how he sends shivers down my spine when i look at him um <laughs> like even though like when he's next to his rank and file um troops he just oh he I, I don't know. He just, he, he, he stands out, but in a dark way. Yeah. And then you've got these bits of teal um, on his shield with the inscriptions. And that's just the, that's just the cherry on top. It's just, yeah. oh, chef's kiss for that. <laughs> the humble Easterling uh, captain has, uh, you know, anyone that's listened to the podcast would have known uh, uh, Geordie's position and it's, it's caused some stir in the broader community. I think, um, <laughs> The last alliance of noobs and men recently did a um, a tier list where they they shuffled that Easterling captain far too low down the list. We'll um, we might cover that in a in a future episode where I can <laughs> cover. Um, yeah, where I can get Geordie's full enraged uh, wrath on on recording. Um, but I completely agree. I think um, the model itself um, stands out just enough. You know, like mm. it's that thing of, you, you know, the captain isn't 
to the level of your Brogears or Rotabis or, you know, let alone Dragon Emperor. And yet you want them to be distinct from the troops and still be a part of the troops um, to mm. that, to a certain degree. And I think this game does that really lovely, um, which is great to see. My tie, my tie, add another detail that I really enjoyed. Always. So, uh, a very weird type of detail that I wanted to absolutely get right was the timber effect on the palanquin. Is that how you pronounce yeah. that word? I've I struggle with I that word. I think so. I think so. But um, uh, I'm a I'm a carpenter by trade, so oh, okay. having the the species of wood painted to kind of match where it was coming from and its journey really stands out to me personally because it's almost like it's 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 well traveled it's well weathered and it's almost it's got that light look as if it's starting to to dry as it comes from the east to um yeah invade the north and it's just that's 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 one touch that i really enjoyed the discussion with Geordie about mm. um and i like i just love his execution of it so was there a particular kind of timber species that you had in mind or was it just this idea of that kind of drying and aging of the timber as it's heading north out of the desert into this inhospitable environment uh exactly that exactly yeah, that cool that's yeah. so cool and I, and i love those um i love those little pieces because that's something that's kind of uniquely connected to you and the story mm. that you want to tell with the miniatures. And I suppose um, one of the things that I um, think about, and we talk about on the podcast quite a bit, is the kind of the story that you're telling with the paint job that you're doing. And it's really cool that even though you didn't paint the models yourself, there's still so much of your own kind of the story that you want to tell with your minis are there and they it's kind of intertwined with Geordie's paint style. So you've got the best of both worlds where like you've collected Geordie's paint style. You've got the, the kind of the, the narrative component that you want to tell through the painting and you've combined them two together at the end there, which, and, and it looks amazing. Like it's really cool to hear that you, those little, those little gems. Cause that's, I think that's, that's the that's for me is the thing that makes this hobby so great is that you can you can choose to tell those stories um and it's all up to you kind of thing absolutely and if it's oh the the theme of it definitely wins my heart yeah 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 because then i mean any time that you put them down on the table you're you're inherently kind of invested in how they do because you've got that level of kind of engagement or you're you're telling the story with them every time you roll dice with them right it's um it's gonna it's gonna be tough to pick them up off the table that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) so not only did you get all of these lovely models painted but you also had um geordie do a, a display board for you as well is that right that's correct well Kind of half and half correct. I was actually surprised. Jordy Jordy surprised me with this display board because okay. we had not we had not talked about it before. So I kind of sprung him on a surprise. Um after he delivered the models to me, I was like, man, I feel horrible because I'm not gonna have a display board to show them off at this tournament. And I was 
profusely apologizing to him for for not showing his work in the best of lights. But then he surprised me and said that, oh, don't you worry, a board's on the way. And um, <laughs> <laughs> lo and behold, dear listeners, I'm sure you'll be able to see on the Instagram the, the glorious photos of this board. Now, this, this board, I feel, really brings out the best in the army. Um, it really tells the story of conquest and far travels. Um, it shows how the dwar- the the grand host of the dragon emperor marching proudly into dwarven territories. You've got the uh, what what are the words for the statues? Um, Geordie, oh, Geordie kind- had a well, I, I'm not sure what word Geordie would call them, but I would <laughs> I would colloquially turn them the the dwarven versions of mini Argonaths. Um, yeah, they've, they've kind of got that imposing, you know, you shall not pass. Um, exactly. But uh, much to the dwarves' chagrin, the Easterlings did very much pass. Um, they did. So they they were some three uh, D printed um, pieces um, that Geordie actually got me to three D print up. We we'd been kind of going back and forth on these dwarven um pieces for a while and i'd kind of seen them um some time ago uh and wanted to 3d print some up for a project that i'll i'll do down the track so this was kind of a good uh, opportunity to test things um but but I'm, I'm just remembering we actually 3d printed some of these pieces off for some of the big bases too i'm i'm fairly sure exactly um, yeah which is kind of cool because it, it it tied everything together really neatly. So on the, I think some of the hero bases, um, certainly on um, either the captain or the Dragonite's base, uh, there's kind of rubble and ruin and hints of these dwarven um, uh, statues that have fallen into ruin as the marauding uh, Easterlings kind of come through and, and take everything down. Um, and then we printed up, kind of scaled up versions for the um for the display board itself um mm. which is and really it, cool it just yeah it is and it is uh it's completely blown me away by not only how simple it is but how effective it is at mm. really capturing um the story and the journey um really uh, framing the army in its entirety as it's on its way to uh its next conquest and I mean, we only touched on it very briefly, but the bases are very beautiful for this army, and it's kind of got this um, frozen tundra feel to it. So the display mm. board reinforces that again, and you get this real sense of here is this pillaging army, and it's kind of quite a desolate landscape that they're going through. And you you also mentioned it before, and and it, again, it comes home in this um, in the display board that it's this kind of tropical army. That is completely out of place, and yeah. yet makes perfect sense in the actual narrative, um, exactly of the story. And um, I guess I guess that's something that I I really wanted to go for, and that really um, interested me, and really really piqued my curiosity. Um, just this just this idea of a an army far 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 from home, deep in enemy territory. Um, almost the exact opposite. So you're kind of like juxtaposing these two different, um, these two different biomes of you know um, tropical deserts to 
like wintry stone mountains. And I thought that could make for some epic contrast. And I think it does. And I think it plays really nicely. Like this contrast that is harmonious and then there's contrast that looks wrong, if, if that makes sense. And this is definitely the harmonious um, uh, aspect. And I think it's because so much careful consideration has been given to the story that you're trying to tell that it's purposeful as opposed to an accident, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, which is really cool. Um, the display board is essentially flat, right? Um, and then there's the the, the statues and, and snow. Is there any um, flocking or, or grass tufts um, on yes. there? I yes, can't remember. there is. And, and there, are they coloured? Are they, are they got different colours on them? They've got hints of um, kind of, I would say it's like a magenta, mm. the, but it's it's sparse. Um, but it also does tie into the bases because the bases have hints of that as well. And it, it, well, it ties into the bases and it also ties in, in terms of color theory, having that kind of tealy green offset with a magenta pinky hue. Um, again, that's kind of color theory, harmonious, um, complementary colors. So, um, but again, with anything that Geordie does, it's never a super vibrant hue, it's always kind of muted and toned down so that they don't come across kind of garish, which I think mm. in this aspect, again, really, really suits that that narrative of the the conquesting um, Easterling. So um, uh, it's very cool. So the, the display board was um, an added bonus. You've got that one in hand, um, which is awesome. You'll be able to take that to um, the tournament. Um, just coming back to the tournament, what are what are your hopes going into the tournament in terms of uh, from a gameplay point of view, or are you just going to like me throw dice and have fun? I want to show some people some real fucking speed. That's <laughs> that's. <laughs> I am gonna go so fast and so far with my Easterling train. It's gonna be ridiculous. But um, the the main. The main point of, I, I guess, uh, for it to be a win for me, I would, I would love to just meet some new people, roll some dice, have some absolutely epic games. Um, the games I most enjoy are ones that hang in the balance of a single dice roll, and that could go either way at multiple turns in the game. Mm. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to having some absolutely epic clashes. Um, meeting some great new people and telling everyone about this beautiful commission painted army. And to be honest, I'm going to be pumping Geordie's tires as well while we're there. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be inundated with uh, commissions after this. I, I told him, and he was he was fine with it. So, <laughs> well, there you go. He's he's given the tick uh, of approval, so he can't get um, angry when when more people come and ask him to to yeah, paint models. Exactly. Um, so no, that that's really cool, man. I I I can attest to the Easterling speed. Every time I play Geordie, it catches me off guard. Just how you don't you don't realize how quick uh, they go. No, and especially in the hands of someone 
like Geordie, who really knows what he's doing um, versus uh, me, who is generally reacting to someone who knows what they're doing. It makes for a very mm. interesting game. Uh, I, and from the conversation that we've had, uh, I have no doubt that you'll have an excellent time. It'll be uh, filled with uh, plenty of great competitors. Do you, do you know off the top of your head how many people are heading to um, Battle Hardened? I believe at the moment there's 30. Uh, okay. Or thirty-two, um, yeah, cool. and the TO has capped it at thirty-four. Great, almost full. Because is it um, being played? Where whereabouts is it being played? I believe it's being played at Tabletop Games in Burwood. Yeah. Okay. I'd say thirty-four. That would be pretty much total capacity there. Um, for seven hundred and fifty points, um, and having like that many. Like such a such a good turnout, I think it's a it's a good thing. It's yeah. definitely a good thing. Um, there there going to be some big games. There's going to be some absolute grinders, um, and some absolute just punch ons, which yeah. I am all about. But um, yeah, I can't wait for it. It's going to be an awesome tournament. I know a few of the guys going there. Um, and I I know a hundred percent the To is going to To Jacob. He's going to put on a excellent tournament and there's not really going to be any losers coming out no. of the tournament no definitely not um jacob runs a very good tournament i'm sad that i can't make it to that one um but luckily we have a, a local tournament down here in um, geelong at the same time so um you're going to go along and maybe even uh do some interviews on our behalf and, and we'll get to get both tournament experiences so we'll have absolutely uh, the Geelong tournament, and then um, Jonathan, you'll be uh, our Melbourne correspondent. Um, welcome That's to the it. team. Thank you for having me. Well, Jonathan, thank you for um, coming on the podcast. It's been fascinating to hear that whole process that you went through in terms of um, getting uh, Geordie on board to to um, commission paint the Eastling Army. Um, as Jonathan mentioned, uh, we'll have lots of lovely photos of the army with close-ups of all the models and the display board as well on the Instagram. So make sure you go and check that out. Um, I hope you've enjoyed coming on the podcast. I have enjoyed it so much. Um, thank you for having me on. And it has been such an interesting journey um, also to hear from your perspective as mm. well as Geordie's perspective. Um, this being my virgin uh, commissioning. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. No, it's been it's been really great, mate. And and we love having people on the podcast and talking to them about um, their hobby experiences and um, getting different perspectives and just shining a light on you know what it's like to to come at the hobby from different perspectives because it's very easy for Geordie and me to sit. Um, in a room together in a little echo chamber and talk about how we paint models. But um, I, I think it's uh, infinitely more interesting to to start to expand that conversation out within the kind of broader local um, Australian community to understand how other people approach their hobby and um, celebrate how other people do their hobby. Um, because I think whether you're painting your own minis, getting other people to um, paint them, um, you know, if your enjoyment is uh, in the game or terrain making or list building or whatever it is, um, I think it's always interesting to 
to hear the diverse range of um, how people engage in the hobby. Awesome. Thank you so much for your work. Um, love your work. Love the podcast. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see what the future holds. Sounds very good, Jonathan. Good luck and all the best um, at Battle Hardened. We look forward to to hearing how you get on. Uh, thank you very much. And same to you. Good luck in your 500 point local. Hope you bring it home. Oh, I definitely won't, but uh, <laughs> I'll have fun regardless. Okay, awesome. Thanks, mate. G'day guys, g'day team, hope you're all well. This is Jonathan back at it again after round one of the Battle Hardened Conquest Creation 750 point tournament. I am your Melbourne correspondent here looking after this uh, coverage and I'm here with my first opponent, Alex. How are you, Alex? Not too bad, mate. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, thanks. I'm wonderful. And what a game we had. First of all, tell me a little bit about your hobby journey. All right. Well, I started back in the good old Battle Games of Middle Earth magazine days. Oh, yeah. Um, I was all, all still still very, very young, so I've been in and out of the hobby over the last kind of 20 years, but mm. um, definitely throwing myself back in over the last kind of three or four years when the new edition yeah. came out. It's definitely been a resurgence, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's We've seen so many people throughout the year at different tournaments. I got up to Masters as well. It's just great to see that many people playing yeah. the game. Awesome, man. Awesome. Now, you've brought uh, Isengard list. Now, what's really interesting is the color scheme of the the wine, almost wine red armor. Tell me a little bit about your uh, color scheme, why you chose to paint your army in this way and like what it's kind of re- representing. What's your headcanon for them? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, I'd taken Isengard earlier this year and I'd done the classic movie scheme. You've got your kind of reddish brown skin and the normal armor. Um, and I was getting ready for this and I just thought... I just want that pop of colour. I want that something different. Um, so I was just trying out the colour schemes and I ended up with this, yeah, this kind of royal red kind of wine scheme uh, with a very, like, dull, muted skin and cloth. Mm-hmm. And I thought, let's go for it. And then as I was kind of doing it, I'm like, well, I want to chuck Saruman in the list so we can make this, like, his royal guard. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't really make sense. Why would he need yeah. them? And then I just thought, well, he'd probably keep them back after when he sends off the majority of his army to Helm's Deep. Yeah. So I've kind of themed these guys as kind of the last stand of like the defense of Isengard is kind of the vibe. Mm. And I've tried to do that with my display mm. board as well. And your, your display board is awesome. And it can, you can really, from the display board and the way you set the guys up, really feel like it's really grungy and they're really in the thick of things. Like you've got a, a trench, you've got stakes and you've got like rubble behind it. Did, it. did it take long for you to come up with the board? How was the process of making the board? I'll be honest, it was, this was a shot job kind of over the last three, four days. I kind of had the the kind of styrofoam thing sitting in the garage and I just thought, I can probably throw something together. Um, so it was just a matter of thinking, well, these guys know, can see the ends coming. They probably don't have time to do much. So all I've got is, yeah, some little rubble walls, the stakes. I've just got this little trench with a bit of resin at the bottom for like that really muddy, grungy vibe, as you yeah. said. Um, and I was, yeah, I was really happy with that. You could kind of... Saruman at the back with his Palantir and yeah, he's just doing his thing. Look, the, the army looks like it came together excellently and from your um, from your feedback, it definitely sounds like you're happy with how it turned, it turned out. And it is really awesome to see like different colour schemes and different takes on the armors and styles and um, yeah, how 
you can represent different armies. Anyways, would you like to take us through exactly what you have in your list for this 750-point tournament? Yeah, absolutely. So started off knowing I want to chuck Saruman in there. He's got his Grima by his side. Um, then we've got Gorolf Ironskin. He's leading another band of Uruks. And then Vrashku. And then the warbands are filled up with about eight crossbows, 12 shields, eight pikes, a, a drummer as well, and then a Crabane and a couple of Berserkers. Interesting you went with Goroth. Was there um, any rhyme or reason behind that overtaking, say, Lurtz or one of the other Uruks? Um, first point was purely just for points value. So um, those 20 points, I'm kind of at a 38-ish model count, so I really needed the numbers. Number two is just he he has the strike. He can do his free defense, which is great to hold everything up. And I kind of think with the eight crossbows plus Frasku and Saruman, I can really try and slow down the game. And Goroth is just kind of the guy to sit there just calling heroic defense and grind out the game. Awesome, awesome. Um, dear listener, if I have not... <laughs> discuss my list i'll go over my list as well so i'm running the host of the dragon emperor i have the dragon emperor himself with 17 black dragons on foot with a black dragon cataphract and drum i've also got Rutabi with 11 pikes i've got a captain by himself and then i have a dragon knight riding around with three cataphracts that are also upgraded to upgraded to black dragons with two honesty bows now um, you also had a drum, and what an interesting uh, first round of scenarios we had. Would you like to uh, tell us about the scenarios? Absolutely. So we drew kind of the objective grabbing, destroying scenario. So we had uh, seize the prize, destroy the supplies, and uh, retrieval. Mm. And I, can't, I think we both went into this round going, well, we have a drum, whoever we come up against, we'll go and drum and march or we'll grab the objective yeah. and we'll run off with it. Exactly. We both had extreme speed, um, you know, on a, on, a, on a trigger and we kind of looked across each other's, <laughs> uh, looked across the table and went, well, okay, we can't really adopt this tactic we were kind of planning for. So um, I think I won the roll off and I vetoed the retrieval mission just because of the way the board was um there was a lot of deep water and there was two narrow choke points and it was just logistically going to be too hard to set up in a corner where either corners had deep water through it um and then you then had the choice of what was it uh, uh seize, seize the, the prize. prize and destroy the supplies mm. um i was my main thought was obviously yeah we had the deep water on either side so we're kind of stuck in this kind of foot and a half uh, alley up the middle of the board yeah and all i was thinking was if we only have one objective right in the middle you're going to have this fat pike block or with your dragon emperor behind it he's got fight five you've got the the 12 inch banner and there's only one ob objective obviously we'll both be marching drumming up mm. the top the crabane might be able to grab the first turn but i don't see it lasting long so i was just kind of like if i choose to destroy the supplies we can spread out a bit. The Crabane can kind of just jump around and be annoying and hopefully just kind of take the game out and do it. Yeah, yeah definitely. So then we ended up on um, Destroy the Supplies and we had to alter the train a little bit to make the supplies work, but it all kind of worked out in the end. Now, um, facing off against a new Dragon Emperor, what were your thoughts in conjunction with your own strategies? How did you feel the best way to deal with just this, you know, this fat like high fights, high defense, pike wall that was in two choke points. How were you, What were your thoughts about getting around this? Yeah, so my main thought was actually just the fact that I brought only eight pikes and I'd had 
12 shieldmen at the front. So obviously I had to pick and choose my, where I was going to fight. And most of the time, if I've got someone with pikes, then he's going to have two pikes. If he doesn't have anyone, he's going to be shielding. So uh, it was very much about just choosing one, where's the Dragon Emperor? Can I just compel him away and keep him away with the fight five? Because obviously I've paid for fight four, but it doesn't get used as much this mm, yeah. game. But obviously we, we played a kind of practice game beforehand. I was kind of sitting there like... Just the damage output is wild. The buffs are insane. You can't transfix to turn them off. Yeah. So it was very much just can can you manage him and slow down the game yeah. while you and do the objectives? Not to mention he's got like resistant to magic as well, absolutely. plus three will. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, I don't think I ended up casting a spell on him the entire game because so. shooting him. Yeah, most of the time Saruman was, I think the first couple turns was just immobilizing Ratavi, mm. keeping her back just so to delay her involvement. Uh, and then Sorceress Blasting to knock down Dragon Knights and yeah. um, just kill, get some opportune targets to knock some people on their butts. You definitely played Saruman almost masterfully. I, I feel like um, it was so hard for me to... This was probably my um, one of my errors, but thinking I could play around Saruman. But you were able to find and thread the needles with your Sorceress Blasts, your Transfixes, your Compels. You were able to do it in such a, an efficient way and such a almost sneaky way where I didn't see it coming, <laughs> which is all credit to you. I think one of your best plays was um, we were having a race between one of my Dragon Knights to get back to my um, objective and your Crabane who had just flown, who was able to fly in but was within charge range. You flew the Crabane into one of the supplies and then you actually used Saruman from the backfield, long shot all the way back, transfixed him. He wasn't able to go anywhere or was it compel? Uh, I think I ended up transfixing just to guarantee that yeah. it went off enough to spend any more. Yeah. Just to re-roll. Yeah. Makes it easy. So just transfixing, immobilize, uh, transfixing my black dragon who was going for it. It just, it was a, a masterful play that I didn't even um, think about. Um, and it was just a great use of Saruman's toolbox kit. What was, a, what was a great moment for you? And like, what was some ups and downs? Best moment and worst moment in the game? Um, I'd say oh, the worst moment that comes to mind is Gorov doing he was doing his delaying tactic. He'd jumped into an Easterling heroic combat and just backed off and he was just chilling, doing his thing. And then my line started to break up it a bit and I was kind of like, okay, cool. He's got to get into the heroes. He's going to heroic defense, do his thing. Jumped in to the captain uh, and I thought, okay, it's chill. Ratabi managed to sneak in. I called my heroic defense. It's chill, surely. And then he natural sixes. They can't mind it up. Ritabi, the captain, the four pikes behind them. I think you rolled about maybe five sixes or yeah. something. It was it was just the weight of the dice. Absolutely, it was absolutely yeah. just the weight of rolling the dice. Um, I think the Grima didn't do a lot. He didn't make you spend double might. I think it's the fact that because he was just standing there, you didn't spend might. Yeah. Um, so you obviously Correct. could have. You, and I think sometimes the heroic combat could have happened. Um, but it's just the fact that you lose just so much potential initiative down the line where you can't heroic move as much, mm. um, which just, yeah, kind of slowed the game down. In terms of, I think the crossbows, they didn't do a lot for the match. They, I think you spent maybe three or four turns and you'd killed one, one Easterling, but then towards the later turns, when you needed them to get them headshots, they fucking, they got, they got the work done. I actually think, yeah, one of the best moments, I think Ritabi was out of Grima's range for about one turn, and that was the one turn where I spent about five crossbows, killed the guy that Ritabi was in combat with, so 
uh, just got rid of him. Rotabi sits there for a turn doing nothing. Yeah, that was that was really good um, because I wasn't sure if you were just going to go for the Sorceress Blasts because they weren't always um, that reliable at killing the infantry because of the defense six, but really hindering my heroes because my army is so focused around having Ritabi and the captain and the dragon knight on the front line. You definitely did play to your strengths of picking them off and isolating them. So I think you did a wonderful job. Um, do you remember, would you like to tell us about the scores towards the end of the game? Yeah, so I believe the final score was 5-3 in my favour, which was swung by me getting a second uh, set of supplies destroyed by the Grabane, which was honestly by the millimetre, because you had two guys protecting it, and it just worked that the control zones would just out rocket fly over the back of it and just tag, which I didn't think was possible at first. Um, which was very lucky. We didn't wound each other. You broke me. I believe it was one off breaking you, which yeah, was you were one or two off very close. One yeah. or two off breaking me. Um, I think I quartered you. Yeah, you ended up yeah. quartering me. It got to the point where I realised that I probably had the advantage, and I was I was stabbing a bit more often. I was trying to die a bit more quickly. I started throw, put, throw, moving the crossbows forward. Um, and I, I honestly reckon if the last turn or two, if you'd probably shielded and drawn the game out, because Ratabi had survived, killed Gorf, and was running towards the objective, yeah, uh, it probably would have swung it back to a draw, even a win to you. Mm. Uh, yeah, potentially. Um, even if I were to maybe get a banner kill and maybe get a wound on Saramine, we might have drawn. But it was still quite a close game. I feel like it was very masterful positioning on your part with the Crobane threatening both flanks um, at a different stages of the game, which was great. Um, I definitely feel like having the water deep on either side definitely shoehorned us into a bit of a slugfest where because we're both heavily armored armies we don't want to take the risk of just sending our troops to try and swim across because we'd we'd just die and it it was um that was definitely in my mind was the deep water in your mind or like the terrain was that that was definitely hard to play around yeah, absolutely. I, I, the main thing to me, I was more worried actually because you're, you're sitting there, you have more pikes than me, you're fight five somewhere, so you probably have more potential to grind me out. The one benefit I gained from the deep water was the Krabane because yeah. obviously it's so hard to follow after it. I think at the first three, four turns, it jumped around all the way to your right flank. You sent guys back to hold the objective and then I just pulled it all the way back and sent it to the, to the exact other side of the board. Exactly, yeah. Um, no, it was great. Um, I hope you had a great time. I feel like after Goroth died, your front lines definitely started to crumble under my two heroes. Absolutely. Um, but then you had positioned yourself in such a way um, to be able to threaten my back objectives. Um, and I think it was it was just a great first game. It was definitely a, bit, um, a little bit grindy, but I feel like, oh, when your two Dragon Knights, sorry, your, your two um, Uruks, when they just ninjaed across the bridge and charged oh, my back yeah. line, that was pretty cool. That was pretty fucking cool. I love the Dragon Knight for, yeah. uh, the, sorry, Dragon Emperor for yeah. a, a turn just sitting there shielding, both rolled sixes to jump down yeah. and, and charge. Yeah. Um, there was actually a turn where I realized Ritabi could get my banner. And I was very worried. I don't know if you realized, but I ended up having to compel one of your guys into that space to block it up, yeah. um, which was... And then, then the banner kind of just ran off yeah, to yeah. make sure I secured yeah. those points. But that was... Yeah, there were quite, quite a few points. Our first game of the day, a couple of little mistakes, but thankfully I didn't get punished too badly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but anyways, that was a great first game. Do you have any... Um, do you have any expectations going forward into the next round? 
look, I'll, I'll happily take what I can get. Um, if I can get some more wins, I'll, I'll happily do it. If not, it's still going to be a fun, fun weekend. Awesome. Thanks for that and hope you guys enjoyed. Peace. G'day team, it's Jonathan here again with round two of Battle Hardened Conquest Creation 750 point battle um, tournament. I'm here with my opponent, Sam. Sam, how are you? Yeah, good mate, how are you? Wonderful, thanks, wonderful. Um, first off, we had, I would say it was a good game. It was a, it was a hard game for you, I feel. Yeah, uh, with the list that I'm taking, it was mm. pretty swingy, but um, you know, I enjoyed it, it was good. Cool. First of all, um, I'd like to, um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your hobby journey, and um, how you kind of came back, came to the scene? Yeah, I, uh, I've been playing for oh, maybe a little over a year or two. Um, in COVID, I found old models that my brother used to collect from the magazines and um, just started to paint them up and, and uh, get into it that way and then found the, the gaming group that I'm in and just, yeah, enjoyed the game, loved the, the um, system and just gone from there. Awesome, mate. Awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your army and the theme or any theme behind <laughs> your army? Yeah, so I've got uh, Radagast Alliance and the Fellowship. Uh, I've got Guar here and three Great Eagles uh, and then Radagast on foot and then uh, Sam, Frodo and Smeagol. Um, the, the theme is totally there and uh, <laughs> definitely uh, holds up. It is watertight. But um, no, it's just a fun little list. I really enjoyed painting the eagles. I love the eagles. Um, and it, it was a joy to paint up. And, you know, like I said, not the best on the table, maybe not the most competitive, but uh, it's about the enjoyment of it. That's exactly what everyone's here for, I reckon. As long as you get to put the models that you love on the table and play with them, win, lose, or draw, I think it's always going to be a heap of fun. Now, you had some amazing paint jobs and some awesome bases. How did you find the process of painting and basing um, your eagles, not only, as well as the rest of the little fellowship? Yeah, it, uh, it all just kind of came about um, just by stuff that I had lying around, so... When I first got the Eagles, and I actually assembled one of them on the clear bases that they come with, and I decided that I hated that look, and immediately went on and ordered uh, proper 60 mil bases, and then went about trying to just find stuff that I had lying around to, to make the bases really unique. Um, so I had a bunch of uh, kind of falling down pillars around, and some old cast rocks and that, so I just started, um, yeah, gluing them on, and... and um, then to tie it all together, just did a fairly uh, uniform kind of scrubland base on the fellowship as well, just to keep everyone universal. The maple leaves are, oh, I love them. They're, they're just a, an added little touch of contrast between the greens and the greys. And then you've got a little bit of light brown. I reckon they just pop really nicely. And I love the way you've done your bases there. Like they tell a story as well as the eagles flying above. One awesome little detail is uh, the old Guajia model yeah. without a foot, old legless. Yeah. And he's got blood yeah. dripping all over. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That's an awesome little detail, I thought. Yeah, so I, I got the Forge World Guar here and um, I assembled it up, I, most of it assembled, and then I realised how much smaller he is than the other eagles. And I thought, he's the Wind Lord, he cannot be smaller, he has to be bigger. So I changed my tact and um, his foot is 
uh, a, t- a part of the WAG in that little mini diorama uh, on his base. So um, I thought, well, I-, I did try and get it off. I couldn't get it off without uh, breaking it. So I thought, you see seagulls at the beach with only one foot. <laughs> Why can't cool. an eagle have a battle wound? So yeah. that, that eagle is just a normal eagle painted up normally. He's got one foot and, uh, yeah, like you said, there's blood spurting out and I tried to make it look as uh, like he's in the middle of battle. I reckon it looks absolutely fantastic and what an absolute soldier of an eagle. What an absolute cooked piece of fried chicken that was. <laughs> so um, we in round two, we had a bunch of take and hold objectives. Uh, we What do we have? We had breakthrough. We yeah, had... Uh, domination. And... What was the last one? Yeah, the other one. <laughs> one we, we vetoed. But anyways, we ended up going with breakthrough. What were your thoughts looking at the Dragon Emperor and his posse? How did you feel going into the game? What was your strategy? Uh, I thought uh, the, the Hobbits are there just for a bit of might. Um, really, they, they have some synergies that we can use with um, the Sam's free heroic combats. If he's in a fight with an eagle and that turns into something pretty serious um, and can redeploy the eagle around as well. And then Frodo with the ring um, can be pretty handy as well. Radagast's um, spells are pretty pretty useful too. So uh, my, my f- main plan was just to get around the back with the eagles um, and try and get to your backside and, and uh, then fight towards the middle again, uh, holding the, the back objective. But didn't even get to break through <laughs> yeah it was um i was definitely worried about the eagles uh movements um and i knew the game would end if he had only two models left or if i had been severely reduced so for me going into it i thought i'm gonna leave maybe one or two models in my back objective and i'm just gonna push my force forward because the game's not gonna end until there's some bloodshed um and there was quite a fair bit I feel that I was able to maybe catch you a little bit off guard with the drum and how fast I was able to come up to you. What did, did you feel surprised about the speed? Yeah, I knew the drum was there. Uh, I, I did do uh, uh, Sam's free heroic combat to get into the drum to try and take it down, mm. but that eagle whiffed his, his role. And Guahi was set to go uh, get to the back as well as that eagle. They both flew over the lines. Uh, but then doing so exposed the Hobbits and Radagast uh, with only one eagle bodyguarding them. And, um, yeah, then then they found themselves surrounded by pikes very quickly with, with that drum. So mm. then they had to return and uh, then they all just got bogged down and, and uh, slowly munched up. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was definitely, as soon as I caught you, it was definitely a bit hard to, to break out of that, yeah. like, almost suffocating... Um force of pikes surrounding you um it it can be such a swingy game because i was so afraid of just like the constant sixes on the eagles and when the eagles did get into combat they they could do some damage for sure but it definitely did just come down to the dice and i feel like unfortunately maybe the dice might have betrayed you a little bit on this game what do you reckon oh it is what it is yeah i rolled plenty of sixes just not where they counted (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true um was was there anything else that kind of stood out to you in the game uh the thing I'm just figuring out with the Eagles as well, like I've only played um, limited games with them, um, but the once they're trapped, they do go down. You, mm. you think they're pretty tanky and pretty hardy, but uh, 
if if they get surrounded, there's uh, you know little that they can do eventually because uh, unless we get the the tactical retreat and reform and and come back in, um, then they they're on the killing power then. But um, yeah. Yeah, when, when they get bogged down and you lose uh, the roll-offs for the heroic moves and your limited might anyway, it starts to get pretty tricky. Yeah, definitely. I feel um, it's great having the mobility, but only throwing three dice can definitely be a little bit swingy. There's, it's not always a guaranteed yeah. six, is it? No, we need an eagle with a banner hanging off his foot, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you can sew one onto Legless, the chook. <laughs> no, that's sick, man, that's sick. Anyways, how have you uh, been enjoying the tournament so far, and do you have any expectations for the next round and tomorrow? No, I think it's uh, a great tournament. Jacob's doing a really good job, and um, I, I think uh, a, a 750 tournament's something that I haven't done before, and... Um, no, it's interesting and it's, you know, great community. I think everyone's really, really friendly in here just to roll some dice and have some laughs. So yeah. looking forward to the rest of it, even if I'm at the bottom tables. <laughs> hey, but you've brought your passion and um, models that you really love. So you're still, you're still winning. You're still having a great time. And yeah, what do you think about the boards? Anything like, just, just to me, I'm, I'm like constantly uh, in awe of just the boards and like all the, all the details on the terrain that we're playing on. Are you much of a board maker? I've got a board at home that uh, I made up. It's nothing to the standard of these guys, uh, the, the boards that, that are here. But I do really um, think they look amazing. And there's even looking at walking around, looking at everyone else's armies, like even your one that you said that Geordie painted up looks absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Um, and that just really inspires you as well. Like you want to go home and paint up some Easterlings now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Or get Geordie to commission you some. <laughs> I think he's a little bit sick of Easterling painting Easterlings at this stage. But um no, nah, that's awesome, man. So when he uh I know it might be a little bit early, but what do you reckon you'll bring to the next tournament? Uh the next thing I'm working on is some Serpent Horde. Um Ooh. I've been playing around with the Mumek list um for a little Sick. bit and just uh yeah enjoying that so just trying to finish all, all that painting up first i reckon and then i don't know we'll see what the next one is anyway awesome awesome well thanks so much for your time and all the best for the next rounds going forward i'm sure you'll get some sick games in hopefully some more heroic moments <laughs> <laughs> yeah appreciate it all right thanks guys Hey guys, it's Jonathan, the Melbourne Correspondent, here after round three of the Battle Hardened uh, Conquest Creation 750 Battle Report with my opponent, Garrett. Garrett, how are you? I'm very good, uh, but uh, after that loss, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a game it was, what a game it was. Um, anyways, why don't you take us through your army list for today? Okay, so with my army, I had 36 models. I was led by Hero of Valor, which was Celeborn for my Gladrim. Um, he was equipped fully out with his sword, shield, and armor. Um, he then had five gl Galadrim Court um, protecting him. He had a Sentinel in his band. He had um, Galadrim Warriors with shields, four of them. He had a banner to go with that, and um, Galadrim Warriors with bow. His second warband that I had in my force was led by Haldir, and he was fully kitted out in armor and bow, no cloak. Um, the, he was then followed up with uh, four Galadrim with shield and sword, uh, three Galadrim with spear and shield, one Galadrim with just a spear, and four Wood Elves with bow. Mm. The final warband was led by his brother Rumil, who um, was not fully kitted out. He did not have his cloak, but he still runs at 85 points. And he had two Galadrim warriors with shields, uh, one Sentinel, uh, two Galadrim knights with bow, and a, another Galadrim knight 
with just a shield to go with him. Mm. And you had you had a lot of models for elves. Thirty six yeah. models is a lot of models for yeah. elves. Definitely felt like a lot. Uh, turns did take a little bit of time. I was just getting used to the game. Um, but all up, it was 12 bows, uh, 13 bows with Haldir, who gives it, pumps it up to 14 shots all up because yeah. of his expert shot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was fun to get used to it, trying to, like, balance all my forces and move them from table to table. That's probably the yeah. hardest part. For sure. And, like, I feel that, like, that was a really thematic game, you know, mm. the... A uh, horde of the gleaming emperor coming in to uh, invade the lands of Lothlorien yeah. and Erebor. I felt like it was a really nice themey match, um, and your paint scheme was lovely. I really, I really enjoyed um, how your blues popped and the different coloured capes on the leaders. Appreciate um, that. Thank you. I, I thought, I thought, you know, even though like as we were talking, you didn't really talk yourself up as a good painter, but I, I felt that they were there of great quality and great standard. Appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm just, I, I basically wanted to go into this competition with a fully painted force. Um, over COVID, I um, got back into the, the hobby because I'd been into this, the, the hobby since it came out in Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, I, just do, I just knew no one who played this game. Wow, so okay. uh, I've been collecting over the years, um, watched Two Towers, started buying Gens, looked into Zorpa Zorp and all that kind of stuff. It kind of like fed my... Uh, um, my urges to, to, to purchase all the stuff again, get back into it, try and get into the community. Yeah, awesome. Um, so that's something I've really wanted to do. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to play Galadrim, I think, as my main force. I think everyone played Rivendell and I kind of just want to be the edgy Lord kind of guy. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, was there any inspiration from the new Rings of Power? Um, no, no, no. But I did think about that is happening. So of course I had to take... Uh, Kellerborn instead because he got no credit in Rings of Power. Yeah, that's true. He just kind of got shipped off as the the a throwaway. A throw oh, he was a husband of Lady Galadriel. Wait, and then, married? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about your hobby journey? Um, yeah. So, like I said, I, I started like you know back when Fellowship started. I was into 40k uh, okay. before that, doing I think third edition Blood Angels. Um, oh, wow, that was a time ago. Yeah, yeah, and um, I wasn't too good at it, but like I kept at it, kept going with a few editions. But um, I kind of moved away from 40k, and I've gone into things like Test of Honor and uh, BattleTech. There've been a lot of fun, crazy shenanigan games. Um, Test of Honor is sort of like a, a game where you basically you put counters into a bag and you draw them out for each action of your units. And okay, and um, BattleTech's uh, sort of on a nice hexagon-based grid, and yeah, they're good, good games. But uh, I've always wanted to get back into the the Lord of the Rings site, uh, scene. Awesome. Now you mentioned to me during our game, this would be your third round and also your third game. How have you found not only the community but the the game system? I think the community is really good. I've looked on Facebook and everyone seems to be like welcoming and just full of memes as well because of the yeah. whenever the tournaments are on and oh, it's, it's, between states it just gets it gets a uh, little fun and crazy from all the memes I've seen on Facebook but uh, yeah no I I've I've had like a wonderful time like watching especially the videos like that um, Jacob would put out and Zorpa Zorp uh, you know the builds they just they just take my breath away at like how how cool some of this stuff can get. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's great. So going into this round, this was definitely a bloody, bloody round with a bunch of kill-focused missions. First, we had Lords of Battle, Contest of Champions, and To the Death. I think I won the roll-off and I got rid of Lords of Battle. Um, 
or contest of champions. The one where it's your leader kills because I wasn't too sure if the Dragon Emperor, because he's on such a big base, I was yeah. like, oh, he may be a little bit unwieldy. So then you chose? Um, I, I left the, the one in where our heroes would um, gain points of might yeah. back. So I vetoed the other one. Um, I forget the name of that one. You vetoed to the death and we played, I think it was it was Lords of Battle or Contest of Champions, whichever one's... I think it was just, Lords of Battle. Just the, yeah, Lords of Battle, just yeah. the wound tally. Um you say that uh, you told me before that you had faced um, a similar list in the Dragon Emperor um, for round one. How did you feel going into round three with the experience of facing them in the first round? Um, I was a little more prepared. I spread out myself for the first time and we went ended up in a stalemate. Um, the only difference between your list and theirs was they, they carried a mage and had some, you had a lot more cavalry. They, they had... Um, maybe three cavalry, but no hero cavalry. Yes. So you had that option, which definitely was a different change to the whole dynamic. Um, you were a lot more aggressive, I think, with because uh, obviously that, with that person with the magic ability it was yes. a lot more um, strategic. But yeah, I knew the um, the uh, that lady. What's her name again? Ritabi. Oh, she is horrible. Yeah, the master of battle, and as soon as because the the fight was quite condensed, and because she's right in the middle, you really can't get away with any heroics without it being threatened. Yeah, so that was definitely my mistake, you know, in the hindsight of putting all my heroes too close together. Mm-hmm. So no matter who activated with a kind of heroic action, Ritabi would just simply copy the same action and just beat me with it in the roll off, and usually you'd win the the roll off again. It did go uh, um, a lot to me. It did. The yeah. dice were definitely, I would say, in my favour as opposed to definitely. yours. Yeah, um, had to wreck into those dice though. Mm. Riven, that's what you get for using Rivendell dice on the Galadrim Force. Ah, that's it. That's it. You got to get some custom made Galadrim dice. Oh, when, when are those coming out? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask James Workshop. Um, anyways, I think you had a brilliant play um, in the first round. I, w- I had a big battle line and you picked out my captain, brought him forward and just absolutely butchered him. Yeah. After I lost my captain turn one, I, was, I wasn't I was sure if I'd be able to bring it back with that uh, kind of deficit in might. Um, I was hoping that would cause a, a bit of a problem losing a captain. That's usually what three might, two. Lose, or two might from there. But um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't to be because Ritabi is the one I needed to get. I cast uh, the I had the the flute effect happen from the Sentinel to make you do your courage test, but Ritabi had none of that. She she didn't care. Yeah, she <laughs> wasn't having any of that tunes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, if I could have got her, that that might have changed a lot of the dynamic of the play. But um, I think anyone running that kind of list, you should definitely want to run her. That's she's awesome. Yeah, she definitely did do well. Definitely, definitely. I think that rumor was definitely like the silent assassin. Mm-hmm. Like you making me re-roll my high rolls if I didn't have so much weight of dice with the pikes and the re-rolls from the legendary legion and the banner. I would have been like stuffed. You just had like just the ability to almost like negate the the high roll. Yeah, and Rumil's ability, which is you can force them to make a single re-roll in when they roll off. Um, so long, like the amount of times you got sixes, and I'm like, yeah, no re-roll. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Your first time hearing that was just what? Yeah, exactly. I thought I had um had rolled a cocked dice, and I was like, oh, but I thought that was flat, and I was so perplexed. Like, no, it's my rule. It's a special effect. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he was very he's very jerkish in that way, but I, like in a fun way, like 
you know, just it's only a single dice you'll have to re-roll, so he, it doesn't feel like it's um, game-breaking or anything like that, but it just feels kind of annoying niggle, and it's like, damn you. He's definitely got that edge in like a one-on-one battle, but unfortunately with the weight of the pikes, yeah, um, yeah there were just too many dice getting he, through. I think you finally did injure him, though, because he's... I did de- get one. He's the best defended guy I've got in my force. He's, he's defense seven. Um, he's better than Caliborn in terms of his defense. And with that re-roll, it just, yeah, it's very useful um, for your fights. You're rolling two dice to try and compete, but, you know, with elves and their high fight value, if you get your six, usually good enough. And then we had that time where uh, Ritabe and Ramil both did the high fight value roll-off. You yep. got to fight ten, and I think you guys finally got through, but you didn't get the, the wound. You had, like, yeah. how many was it? I had a, I think I had eight... Um, Eight normal black dragons and Rutabi, um, and I only snuck through like two wounds and or just one wound. One yeah, wound. you you um, made me roll a fate before, and uh, yeah. I thought this is it, but it's like no, you only got the one wound because that high defense seven and just couldn't seem to get a six on that on those eight dice. Yeah, definitely, definitely whiffed that one. Um, just and you just survived just by the skin of your teeth, which was still it. It could have gone either way. Mm. Um, I feel like. Well, how, how did you feel with the map setup and the mission? Did you feel confident in holding? Um, well, I thought I could try and use the Sentinels a bit, but I think um, we discussed that maybe I deployed too close to the middle. I had this river right in front of me, so I, I figured that would be a lot of um, frustrating um, to like move through and all that. But like, yeah, uh, the ri- being close to the river and on the other side, you guys could just simply... M- you walked across it first turn. Mm. I didn't uh, utilise my shooting enough. Um, for yeah, a side that the, had two. Yeah. Two the, shots to my 12, uh, 13. 12, 13. I think it was the drum. The drum giving me the extra three inches, allowing me to get onto your side of the embankment, yeah. um, really put the threat right in your face. But the drum also did help me get that first kill because of the effect of the Sentinels taking yeah. control. So I could use the full movement. Which oh yeah, that's right. It was yeah, double-edged sword. There it was. It was run. absolutely. Otherwise, the captain wouldn't have been able to go quite as mm. deep into your lines and yeah. force as he did. So, like, what I also tried to do at some point was um, get um, Haldir into the middle of like all your leader and all that because I figured he was going to die when he was on the one wound, and he had that effect of dealing strikes damage to everyone who's attacked him. Um, unfortunately, just couldn't hit anyone with that roll. Yeah, that was hard. Yeah, tried to suicide bomb him. Mm. <laughs> I think it was. Um, it was definitely. Um, the dice just well, the dice told the story, and yeah. unfortunately, the elves, the elves took a bit of a loss to the yeah, evil pikes. That's my first um, hero being killed in this tournament so far as well. So oh wow, really? Yeah. Okay, there you go. I've uh, taken your first hero off you. That's yep, good. Yep, um, I feel like maybe the for me at least the deciding play was when my black dragon. Uh, did a heroic combat yep. and was able to go into the back of your uh, banner and take your banner. Yep. I feel like if you maintained your banner throughout the game, it would have been a much slower um, grind. Yeah, it was definitely in that position where, where I was like, I placed the banner perfectly in the middle. Um, but when you had that heroic combat where you, you'd knock down my two guys and had the um, double strikes on from the horseback uh, with the prone effect... Uh, for winning combat, yeah, it was just, it was just like, well, there's my banner gone. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, I guess, I guess it's little, little moments like this that make you like learn and make you think about like just um, how far certain models can reach, mm. and it's, it's interesting. But man, I had a wonderful game against you. Um, I thought, yeah, we had, a, we had a good time, yeah, I, and I had a blast. Like, I, I got absolutely stomped on, but I still had fun. So yeah. that's the important thing. In that, that, game. that absolutely is the most important thing. Um, however. Best of luck for the future games and yeah, we'll be seeing you tomorrow in day two. Appreciate that, mate.
G'day guys, Jonathan, the Melbourne correspondent, back here with round at the end of round four at a battle hardened 750 point tournament, Conquest Creations. I'm here with my opponent, Matt. Matt, how are you? I'm great. I had an awesome game against you, so let's uh, chat about it. Yeah, wonderful. Um, for those of you who may not know, and those of you dear and dedicated listeners, this is Matt. You've been on the podcast several times before, haven't you? Uh, yeah, twice before. So this is my third time. Uh, first one was for Hobby Hero of Legend uh, at Axel Sword. The second time was Minimize, where I versed Albert in a doubles game in, uh, yeah, which was a, a blast at Minimize. So. Awesome. Um, so we won't go too much into the army list, but my goodness, it is spectacular. Would you like to just give us a quick rundown on your spiders and the theme and like just the how you went about putting it all together? Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for the compliment too. Uh, I have a Mirkwood uh, spider army, so Dark Denders of Mirkwood, and my army list today was... The Spider Queen in all her glory. I'm proxying uh, the model uh, using the metal shelob, which is in a tree, which is very scary. Um, so very, very heavy model. Uh, I've got 18 Mirkwood spiders, and they're in trees and on statues and rocks and other bits and pieces. There's plenty of photos on the uh, Two Towers uh, Instagram. Uh, and I've got another 12 of the giant spiders on various different bits and pieces of rubble and trees. And I have a bat swarm, which I'm using the... Soul Black Gravelord's giant bat um, as like a proxy model because I just really love that model as well. It is a really cool model. And um, I must say, one thing that definitely stands out is the levels. There's so many different levels in not only the big spiders, the small spiders, but like how high up they are, how low to the ground they are, and just the way you've incorporated the trees. They just look incredible. Thanks, yeah. So the, the whole idea behind it was that, the, as I said in the previous uh, podcast, is they started off as an, uh, a terrain project uh, mm. as a board to be like representative Mirkwood and then I decided to put them through. So I actually cut down some of the, the largest trees and made them on slight angles and slightly shorter, which to the naked eye you can't really tell, but they're supposed to be like ground floor middle kind of point and then above so you can get a really nice photo and see everything and just have that intimidation factor as well yeah and it really gives you the uh the feeling that they're just crawling out of everywhere and they've just really come out of the woodworks and are coming right at you so anyways let's um talk a little bit about the game we vetoed a bunch of missions i can't remember but we ended up on clash by moonlight on a wonderful kind of uh old well how, how would you describe the board that we played on uh, like old-timey European uh, dilapidated village, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Really nice board. It, it was a fantastic board. Anyways, um, how did you feel going into the match and what were your strategies coming up against the Horde of the Dragon Emperor? So I was a bit worried, uh, straight up, knowing that the mission didn't have any objectives to kind of hold and being only one hero, you can basically out-might me every single day of the week basically so having that many characters meant that you could even if i won priority it wouldn't matter uh, as well and you could castle up really well which you did uh using the train uh really well too so i was a bit worried and i versed my mate who's here with easterlings as well marcus uh against it as a practice game and only narrowly won and i had a really tough time so yeah, it was not looking uh, good for me uh, going into it, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I was also really worried about the poison but um, and the paralyzed, but I guess um, after realizing the shoot values um, and the ranges, I wasn't too concerned about just 
being exposed to it with my pikes. Um, I feel like, yeah, it was definitely a really rough game. Uh, I hate to say, but I think the dice were definitely in my favor this match. Um, but I hope you still enjoyed the the battle. Was there any certain moment that kind of like stood out to you or any certain moment that you enjoyed the most? I really enjoyed the way that you, because obviously it's not an army that a lot of people see. So it's really enjoying the kind of terror of versing it, if that makes sense. Like it's one of those uh, yeah. armies that it gets in people's heads a little bit and I think it's really fun because I feel like I'm kind of like the NPC in a way and I'm like sending in the a, literally a force of nature. Um, so I really enjoyed how uh, you went, I'm not going to engage, I'm going to engage on my terms. And I feel like that swung the game hugely because you could have sent out your cavalry straight away and got me tied up and everything. But I think you played it really, really sm smartly and your insane amount of uh, heroism, because I might as well not have caused terror <laughs> most yeah, of that game. Yeah. Uh, which that was, was ridiculous, yeah. wasn't it? Like, I think all uh, all of your models but the bat swarms caused terror. Yeah. And I think throughout the game, only the heroes and a couple black dragons failed their courage tests. Um, everyone else passed to get in. So it was, it could have definitely swung in the other way. But I guess having the extra courage on the black dragons really helped uh, just push them in. Yeah, for sure. Courage yeah. 4 was huge for it. And I think that there was a couple of key combats that it just snowballed. So getting your um, over on the your right flank where there was just a, a character on a mounted cav um, just wrecking everyone, uh, everyone's day, killing like one to two spiders a turn pretty comfortably, the um, Black Dragon Knight. Yeah, the, the, the Black yeah. Dragon Knight and yeah. his posse of um, yeah cataphracts. They were, uh, they, I was very patient with them and I kind of held them back until we were definitely ready to, to, to punch on. I guess another maybe hard thing was just the, the lack of might because if you had might or those resources on that side of the flank, you might have been able to control the tempo a little bit more. But I guess, I guess it was so hard because you've got such large bases and you're spread out over the entire board. But I must say, it is awesome to see just this absolute sea of creatures and little griblies um, and massive <laughs> massive spiders coming at you from um yeah from across the board it's like yeah almost like a wave of just like ooh, arachnids yeah it's pretty terrifying and it's really fun to go up against such an army that is really tough uh mm. as in i can paralyze someone but then you can just defend behind them and get you know three to five models in and get that many attacks so i've only got two attacks and i'm mostly uh, fight two on 18 of my spiders uh and so it's picking where to fight, but you castled up in the perfect spot on the board with the buildings that it made it a really good challenge and it just didn't go my way. So it had an absolute blast playing yeah. uh, as well. You, you've been an absolute ripper sport. Um, it's been such a good game against you, even though that the dice were a little bit in my favor and unfortunately well not in yours. But I think, um, yeah, I think we had a great game. Um, how have you been finding the tournament so far? Have you been enjoying it? What's um, What's been your best moment so far? There may be more to come in round five, but yeah, what's been your best moment so far? I've been having an absolute blast. Lord of the Rings slash Middle Earth SPG tournaments, as I should say, have been the most fun tournaments I've ever been to. This is my third one ever, and I'm going to go to as many as I can. Awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. If you don't mind me asking at the time of recording, I'm not sure if this is going to give away too much, but what's your next project? Uh, next project is a 
not really a secret. Uh, I'm working on a dwarf army so I can take the hobby hero of legend character that I got the the Smith uh, of the Great Smith. Yeah, oh. yeah, the Great Smith. So. I'm not allowed to <laughs> give it to you this year. <laughs> yeah. I've already got one, so yeah. Uh, yeah, hobby hero of legend. You should go to somebody else. But yeah, the best moment I think I had was. Um, where I went up against a Rohan army and Helm Hammerhand single-handedly killed, just the whole game, uh, single-handedly killed 11 of my spiders. So oh, he just bodied everything is. and it was just, it was the best. It was like, oh, I was on Helm's side because I, I yeah. have a beard like him. Yeah. It, was like, it was such like a, people were like, why would you love that? It's Because it, the game is all about both of us having a great time and that's yeah, what we did. So exactly. Blast, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's the best thing and you've been, and you've been such a great... Uh, guy and opponent to, to play against and um, I wish you all the best in the future games to come I'm really really excited to see how your next project turns out with The Great Smith yeah thank you uh, great I, I can't wait to play you again if I get the chance uh, and when I'm you know anytime we get to, to play each other it's going to be a blast I'm sure so thank you thank you again awesome thanks for that bye guys <laughs> Hey guys, uh, it's Jonathan here, the Melbourne correspondent, back at it again with the end of round five and thus the conclusion of the Conquest Creation 750-point tournament. I'm here with my final opponent, Marcus. Marcus, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm wonderful, thanks. I'm wonderful. We have just had an absolutely uh, bloodthirsty and just just a smash-up of a game. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so why don't you, first of all, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into the hobby. Um, yeah, so probably like lots of people, I got into the hobby many years ago with the magazines. Um, and then when the new edition launched um, 2018, I sort of really got back into it a bit. And then through the pandemic, I, I really got back into it, started painting up armies. And then this is my first tournament, um, like press proper tournament. And um, yeah, had a great blast. And, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. And I love what you've done with your Easterlings, kind of like what um, my Easterlings were <laughs> with the uh, with the blue um, instead of the royal red. Um, what was your inspiration behind the colour scheme? Um, I didn't want to just do the standard, like, standard red uh, and gold, but I quite liked, you know, the, the look of the Easterlings is that gold armour and then a colour. So I figured, well, the room to sort of move is just to, to flex with the colour and I picked a nice blue that I was pretty happy with and... Um, yeah, the only other thing is it gets that cool look because I shaded everything in the blue, so the armour gets shaded with blue as well. So it's all, all tied together that way. Yeah, and it definitely came out wonderfully. Why don't you tell us about what you had in your list? Uh, so my list had four warbands. I had Ritabi as the general, and she had a sort of a full phalanx, and she had the banner and the drum. Uh, then I had a Eastling war priest who had um, six more models to go in the phalanx and just one dragon called Acolyte. Then I had Amdur with two cataphractory um, warriors with the black dragon upgrade and he had three archers. And then I had a captain with bow who had nine archers with him as well. Wow, so that's, by the sounds of it, a lot of models and a lot of archers. What are you, like, four, was it 40 models? It 40 models, so, yeah, 21 to break. Um, and, yeah, definitely felt like I outnumbered most of my opponents on the day, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your, your shooting at the start of the game was superb, um, and I was actually a little bit worried because you were killing, like, one or two guys a turn for the first couple... Um, Turns. Actually, let's uh, backtrack. I think I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself here. So what mission were we playing? Uh, so we're playing, is it Hold Ground? The one with the, the objective in the middle and Maelstrom deployment. Moves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we both came, you went first and yes. I put you off in a corner and then you put me in the opposite, uh, sort of the opposite corner. 
Um, and yeah, we started drumming basically and going into the middle. Yeah. <laughs> so seeing the Dragon Emperor and the Legendary Legion, as well as a very similar type of force, um, what were your expectations or strategies going into this game? I mean, not high. I felt like the Dragon Emperor is definitely a good foil to an Eastling army that doesn't have a Dragon Emperor because you're running the same the same Black Dragon upgrade that I'm paying for and you're also getting that benefit um, of having the fight five with your Black Dragons, but I'm going to fight four. So I'm going to be out for it, um, you know, and given Eastlings tend to roll a lot of dice when they're in combat, um, you know, that, that six is... Not unlikely. So, yeah, that was, it was pretty intimidating. And knowing the Black Dragon Emperor could also dismount or get off the Palakon and get more guys out there if I did start outnumbering you. Yeah, I, was, uh, I wasn't super optimistic coming into it. But, um, yeah, the game started well for me, I thought. Yeah. I, think, I think you definitely, even though uh, Amdur's Warband didn't come on for the first couple of turns, um, I think it paid off with your patience when you rolled that six and you could kind of come on wherever you liked. Um, so we kind of both uh, deployed or maelstrom deployed towards the was it the southern board edge or the northern yeah, the southern border, the southern, the southern board edge um, and we kind of both looked at each other and then just drummed and went straight into the middle that was quite, that was quite funny there, there was that big rock that sort of we both went different sides of and you were trying to decide if you were going to chase me around at, mm. or if I was going if you were going to come around the rock sort of the longer way. Mm. Um, and I imagine that the fact that my archers managed to kill at least a model a turn for the per first four to five turns probably had you go around the rock rather than trying to come straight at them. Yeah, definitely. I didn't really want to go towards that shooting by seeing how efficient they were because you're rolling like, yeah, eight to ten dice of shots and it was just, um, they were just they were just getting those kills through and I was like, mm, I'm going to try and engage you in the center, away from your archers. Um, was there any point in the game that kind of stood out to you or that was a bit of a key highlight moment for you? I think the key highlight was definitely when our phalanxes were just staring at each other because there was a couple turns where they were like, we're just both going to stay slightly outside of six and we're, we both sort of tic-tacked around there for a little bit before we went in. Mm. Um, that was probably like the highlight of that that calm before the storm almost yeah. like we know we're going to fight but are we going to fight this turn or we're going to fight next turn so that was really cool it was really cool we were almost in like this valley of death between a couple terrain pieces right in the center just both three soldiers deep in our phalanxes um just staring at each other literally both of our rutabis staring at each other and it just it just looked like a like an epic scene for like a almost reminiscent of say the movie like 300 when the per when they just like clashed and it was just like oh so it was it was great how have your other games been going so far and how have you been enjoying this tournament um so fantastic tournament can't speak highly enough of battle hard event for this year that's been been really good i think the pacing on the games has been really good all my opponents have been fantastic um yeah, before our game, I had two wins and two losses. So I ended up with two wins and three losses. I'm, I'm very happy with that personally. And yeah, all my opponents have been have been great. Um, had a few really cool moments. Uh, but yeah, it's been close games generally across the board. Never had a game where I felt like oh, I wasn't even competitive. Like all my games, I felt like I was in it. Um, and, and yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the best thing, man. That's the best thing. So do you have any uh, future projects that you're looking to bring to the next tournaments? Because it does seem like you're keen as mustard now that you've uh, kind of wet your teeth or, um, you know, cut your teeth on this tournament. 
Yeah, I reckon because I've got I've got a bit more Easterlings to paint, and I'll probably finish up painting those, and then probably run Easterlings realistically at the next tournament. Um, and then beyond that, I've kind of got like space on the hobby desk, I guess, to sort of pick a new army. I've got some Mirkwood Rangers that I've got primed and ready to paint, but if that becomes a full army or not, I haven't really decided yet. So yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it's been great to have my final game against you. I hope you had an absolute blast even though it did turn into a bit of a bloodbath in the uh, phalanx um it was still awesome to see and um yeah the dice were rolled and laughs were had and i think it was a yeah. great time yeah great time lovely to play begin to play again yeah awesome thanks so much for that g'day guys it's johnny uh the melbourne correspondent standing in for uh jim uh, I'm here with the tournament organizer for this grand 750 point battle tournament um in Melbourne, Battle Hardened, here with Jacob. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jacob. Yeah, hello, hello. Um, I'm Jacob from Conquest Creations, so run a YouTube channel that's closing on 15,000 subscribers now. And, uh, and yeah, back to doing events. Want to do heaps of events down here. Um, I do heaps of tournaments and competitive games on the channel, so it's good to get some in person mm. that um, people can play in. Awesome, awesome. So tell us a little bit about your uh, hobby journey and how you've come to being such a great organizer of these events. Yeah, so I started hobbying ages ago. I reckon I got started when one of my older brothers bought a set of models and i uh, been super into it since then. A couple of years ago, I decided I'd try to take it uh, from a hobby into a bit of a small business. So I um, started Conquest Creations, which um, has started out as a YouTube channel and now is um, many, many things. Um, and that's really enabled me to kind of sponsor tournaments. And um, I hold the tournaments because they're super fun. I want people to play in them, but it, it's handy now that it can also be a way that I can promote my products and all that. Um, so we've got a cool swag bag with a Conquest Christians dice tray and measuring widget and a couple other bits and pieces. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, what number tournament is this that you've uh, put out or hosted? Um, I think this is tournament number five, maybe. It was pretty tough through COVID. Didn't get to organize some for a while. So the last time I did Battle Harden was 2019. So back to it in 2022. And I've done a couple other small ones in between, but I really want Battle Harden to be my flagship tournament that I is going to happen every year and everyone knows it's a Conquest Creations event and it's going to be a good time. Awesome. And um, after round one, it certainly has been a great time. Uh, quite an amazing turnout. Do you, have you sold out and is it a full house? Uh, not totally full, which I think is actually a good thing. We've got, uh, it was 31 players two days ago and then 28 players today. So three dropping off at the last minute is not actually too bad. Um, and it just means that we've got a little bit of spare space. We've got an empty table in the middle of the room that people can just chuck their shit on. Um, and it just helps open up the space a little bit. So I'm really happy with the turnout. I think for any more, I'd be probably looking at a bigger venue. So having, having just the right amount for this venue is nice. Awesome, awesome. So what's your favorite part about being a tournament organizer? Um, and what is also one of the hardest parts about putting on such a, such a large tournament? Yeah, well, the favorite part is just being able to see a lot of games happening and getting a room of, you know, 30 people who are all dedicated enough that they've spent hours painting their armies and they're willing to spend a whole weekend, you know, away from their families, their girlfriends, their other hobbies just to be here and hang out. So that's definitely the best part. The hardest part is um, probably all the setup. Um, even just little things like cutting out all of the voting slips for best sportsmanship, you know, just takes time and creating the PowerPoint presentation. Um, probably a lot of 10-minute jobs that add up. And then setting up the venue yesterday, I had help from, uh, from David 
Uh, it took us about two hours to get everything set up and um, putting everything in the car and loading it all up. So lots of work there. Super helpful from from David. And um, yeah, it's it's always good to when people offer to help, especially at the end with all the pack up. It helps a lot. That's awesome, man. You've got some absolutely stunning boards, stunning boards, and you've got so many of them, each with their own story to tell, each with their own theme. It's not just like random cobbled together bits of terrain. It's like each board is its own place in Middle Earth. How did you compile and collate so much awesome terrain in such a cohesive way? So four of the boards here are mine. Um, and I went to Jeremy from the Green Dragon and he has provided eight boards that are of phenomenal quality. Um, so he really is one of the most uh, impressive hobbyists, or definitely the most impressive hobbyist I've ever met just for the amount of stuff that he has. And I asked him if I could borrow some stuff and he said, absolutely no worries. And you know, had it all ready for me when I picked it up and didn't even hesitate. So having someone like that in the community is awesome. And David's also supplied four boards here. Uh, this really nice one in front of us that the viewers obviously can't see, but it's very nice viewers mm. um, has supplied for. So, so stuff like that really, really helps. It's really leaning on the community. Um, and if you don't have someone like that in your community, that means it's your turn to start making boards and be that person. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you're a dear listener, if you're teetering on the edge of pulling the trigger and getting into not just the modeling aspect, but the greater hobby aspect of building your own boards, um, it truly is a different kind of tangible joy to see wonderful boards and play on them with your friends and painted armies. And- Do you... Do you have a ha, going around and making the rounds? Have you do you have like a favorites army that you're just like wow, it's kind of blown your mind? Uh, it's so for this tournament, I have a most unique army list category uh, as a as a prize, just because I want to encourage people to do weird things. Um, there's not one that's jumped out to me straight away, but there's a couple really cool ones. Um, there's one that I think is Aragon King Alessa a captain of Minas Tirith on horse and Guahir and two eagles. Uh, somehow he did all right in his first game. Um, so I'm interested to kind of watch over his shoulder in a few more games. Um, quite a lot of Azogs, quite a lot of Witch Kings, two Saurons. Um, there's two Saurons, two Saurons really? Saurons, yeah. Uh, interestingly, there's not a single dwarf here today. Really? Not a single dwarf? Yeah, I'm, I'm Gumby. I only played Gumby round one because we've got another player coming in. I had... Gimli on the table, but he was the only dwarf in the whole tournament, which is crazy. Usually there's heaps. Wow. Well, that just uh, goes to show dwarves need more representation at these larger <laughs> tournaments. Yeah. So is there anything about this tournament that's different to your others? Have you changed it up any or have you got the recipe down, Pat? Uh, with this one, I really want to do just a traditional, you know, all the games are normal with the veto system. So people can just play the game how it is out of the rule book. Um, so no crazy rules or anything like that. But for this tournament, to make it special, I put together a swag bag and every single place in the tournament from 30th to 1st are getting a prize. So I was pretty proud I could put that together. That is an incredible effort. And dear listener, you absolutely have to get down to Battle Hardened next yep. year. Awesome. Now, I'm just curious, do you have any other um, expectations for the tournament and the rest of today and tomorrow? Um, expectations, there's a couple of big players here. Um, that definitely have a reputation of winning tournaments, but some of their lists don't look like they're going to go up well against some of the other popular lists. So it's going to be interesting to see if those big players can push through or if they're going to get dethroned by maybe some uh, newer players to the game. So it's going to be really interesting to see that. 
And that's always the fun of it. It's just such a such a great game where not only positioning but dice rolls and how things can swing and how, you know, if you're in the underdog coming into a battle, you know, a few key moments you can really claw your way back um, and things can definitely turn and can, um, yeah, just really flip, which is great. And I've, I've been walking around and I've seen a, a great diversity of armies. Would you agree that apart from the lack of dwarf representation, that there is quite a, a, a great variety of armies, not to say there's any like medalists? Yeah, I would say I really don't think that there's much meta in Middle Earth at all, but everyone's army is different. Like, yes, we've got um, a couple of the same, like we've got three witch kings, but there's some are Mordor and some are Angmar, and that's like they're very different lists still. And the Witch King is just one of the coolest characters in the story. So I think it's you know it's partially because he's good in game, but I think mostly it's because he's a cool miniature that people want to play. Um, but yeah, it's nice not seeing you know five of the same lists rocking up. Not that we ever see that um, here in Australia. Yeah, big diversity of all the armies, lots of different play styles as well. A um, couple of themed around Rings of Power. So that's cool to see that you know people are getting into all of the Middle Earth content. That's awesome. Now, I know that you're a big advocate for 3D prints and for alternate models. Is there any alternate model at this tournament that has kind of popped out to you thus far? Yeah, there's a big one. It's a Gulliver that looks like a big hairy bat. And I just think that's a great Gulliver. Um, obviously, because, you know, Gulliver's never, he might be a GW invention. Maybe. I don't know. If he is, he's not. There's not clear artwork of what he is. So I feel like he's a great character to represent in an alternative way as well. Um, so that's super cool. And then, yeah, just lots of people have a couple 3D prints in their armies, which is, you know, it's just a great way to get some of those characters that might be harder to get. Um, and, you know, my gummy list is all official models. There's nothing against official models at all. It just means that there's more models to choose from, mm. which is great. Yeah. And I think um, that acceptance and that um, promotion of alternate ways definitely it helps newer people break into the game because obviously it's such an old game and so much so much of the stock online can be hard to come by mm. having that alternative source to allow you and enable you to get into the game and play the models that you want to play and not be um basically priced out or blocked because of supply issues i think that's a that's a great way to stimulate the growth of the community and i think your contributions to that have uh, worked in many wondrous ways um thank you so much for putting on this tournament do you have any final plugs or anything uh well good luck i hope you hope you pull it out <laughs> me <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna have a word to you about those deep waters oh, later do you listen you'll uh listen to the uh, post-fight uh, interview against my round one opponent. But thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you on the next tournament. Right. Thanks. Nice. Tonight, we remember those who gave their blood to defend this country. Hail the victorious dead. All right, guys, uh, guess what? I've made it back into this potty. Uh, I, I skipped the start, but here I am. So, Jono, we've just run through a series of uh, tawny games. You've done pretty well for yourself. How did they go? Start me with round one. I Look, um, not to say anything, but we did have one training session beforehand, and I think that definitely helped me um, stress test the list and see what it's good at and see how it best functions and what situations it wants to be in, which was great. Um, 
I did go four and one, but I started off with the loss. So I mm. think it might've been a little bit of um, inadvertent and uh, unintentional submarining slightly. Um, but we, we just... love a good submarine story. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of how it played out. Anyways, round one against Alex with his Isengard, destroy the supplies. We vetoed off retrieval and seize the prize and ended with destroy the supplies because we both had drums and we were both fast as fuck. And we kind of were both looking at round one thinking, oh, we'd just take retrieval or seize the prizes like Easterlings, you know, with the march and drum because speed is our middle name. And then we both came up against each other both with the same speed and thought, ah, well, this is no good. So we then, (laughs) so uh, we opted for destroy the supplies, which was uh, kind of a a bit of a, it was a very grindy game. It basically came down to, uh, we were playing on this, um, basically a two by four, like, board that had two massive buildings on it because uh the to decided the water that ran through the entire board would be deep water which was later uh later yes, yeah. faq'd <laughs> but that's that's for that's for another gripe but um <laughs> it was it was a grind my strategy going into it was to grind him down in the middle um and keep him off my objectives and just let my pike block and hero heavy army turn to his army and try and win on points for breaking and like leader kills because i knew there was just with the constriction of the board and my lack of models that fly um it was just going to be really hard to push to those back supplies however alex being the great player he was used his crebane to basically faint out one flank of the board flew it to the other flank of the board um caught me off guard and used saruman's incredible threat range to disposition my uh protection troops and my defense troops and he was able to destroy a couple supplies while i was able to mince through his front line so it was three five to him in the end i believe and that was my first uh yeah, that was round one. And our head cannon was kind of just who has more speed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was the I actually rocked up to the tourney just to come have a sass. And that, I saw that game and I was like, oh no, I know Jono's starting off on a on a bad start, but uh look, you proved me wrong in the future. But that was yeah, the Creebane, he had that the new Isengard toy and comes in pretty clutch and only 20 points. Like he barely had an investment just to win that scenario. Yeah, it was um it was really well played by him with uh Saruman and the Crabane. Um yeah, I just I definitely should have uh in hindsight um dedicated more troops to the backline to the backfield to protect my objectives because the Crabane could just like each turn touch a touch a uh one of the objectives if I hadn't placed my models perfectly correct, which what it kind of came down to. Um, but it was a, a masterful display of um, the use of speed and Saruman's threat range with his, I think it was a transfix or a compel. Yeah, it was it was wild. Yeah, like 18-inch compel plus his 10-inch horsey movement, so about 28 inches. Yeah. 
it's wild. Anyways, uh, going into round two, um, I was up against, oh, I forget the fella's name, um, but he was running Eagles and Radagast and some Hobbits, and we ended with Breakthrough. Um, we had the choice between Domination and Capture and Control, but um, I felt like Breakthrough was going to be the best bet. Um, just a side note, going into these missions, I've kind of tried to think about, well, the missions have been up for a while. So going into these missions, I've tried to think about what two missions does my army do the best at? Um, and then I've yeah kind of vetoed around that because you know you're never going to get what you really want. So having two that you're confident in playing um, came in clutch. Anyways, um, yeah, Eagles and Radagast and Hobbits versus the uh, host of the Dragon Emperor. It went really well for me, I think. he, uh, I believe my opponent might have underestimated the speed of the Yeastlings because I deployed a few dummy drops and then the bulk of my army on the halfway line. And then I just marched up, surrounded the hobbits, um, slaughtered them, and then killed a chicken a turn. So it uh, ended up being a, a pretty decisive victory for me. But again, just having so many dice to be able to roll compared to only three dice per eagle, um, yeah, three dice with a monster is never a sure six. So Yeah, and so that's, it's three dice on the charge, or are you, are you also inferring like the banner that's nearby? So I'm I'm just talking about the, the the difference, just the eagles being you know only three or four dice compared to yeah. like the nine to ten dice I was throwing each combat. Oh, yeah, because you're getting two to three per per bird, and yeah. throwing a hero or two, and you've got the extra extra rerolls. Were there any yeah, key yeah. models that that made that strategy possible, like getting the kills on the birds because they are five I seven, th- right? They are, they are. I think um, having Radagast. In sorry, not Radagast, having um Rutabi in the thick of the combats was key because Sam was calling free heroic combats and Rutabi was just copying oh, them. Oh, oh no, so, that master of battle that, is nasty, yeah. And so, I think I got like three out of four master of battles and um Oof. just managed to keep Rutabi alive within the pike block. Um, and just yeah, it just it just uh. It was rough, but Rutabi was definitely MVP on that one. Funnily enough, the Dragon Knight failed several of his courage checks to charge an eagle. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. And uh, so convincing win against eagles and hobbits, which is an interesting army in and of itself. But uh, we're going to round three. How are we feeling? Round three, round three. We, uh, oh, sorry, my head cannon. Uh, sorry, just uh, quickly, my head cannon yep. and our head cannon for the round two game was: What if Frodo and Sam met Radagast instead of uh, Gandalf, and he just took him and his eagles straight to Mount Doom, but met the Easterlings in the mountains? So that was kind of a head cannon for that game. So you've done the uh, what if they flew the eagles to Mordor? The ultimate lore faux pas, right? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is good which is which is well, good fun now we've answered the question so if it ever comes up we can yeah, just say yeah, they got yeah, followed yeah. by easterlings yeah 
Easterlings in the mountains. That's exactly right. So moving on to round three, I was playing a gentleman by the name of Garrett. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And he had his lost Lorien. We have the choice of Lords of Battle, Contest of Champions, and To the Death. Um, they were all quite similar, but we ended with Lords of Battle. And this is the one where you get the army-wide refund a might point to a hero. Yeah, blood and glory um, on everyone. Yeah, which, is, which was excellent. Um, yeah. So I might have also, again... Uh, surprised Garrett with the movement of the Eastlings, having the drum in there. There was a river that was shallow that ran across the board, separating my army from his. Um, I had the first turn, so I just drummed and moved my army straight across the river, um, right into his, like, just right up into his face. He had uh, Lothlorien with a bunch of elves. Uh, I think he had a few of the, the mid-tier like captain type heroes like Rumil and I can't remember the others. Um, but it basically Surely came Haldia. down. Yeah. I think Haldia. Um, I think he managed to like first turn Sentinel, one of my captains forward and proceeded to murder the captain, but I was able to follow up quickly with Rutabi and the dragon emperor. Um, and I, quickly enclosed him with my army um i think maybe one of his mistakes was leaving his archers on top of a hobbit house for too long because as soon as combat started in you know turn three or yeah turn two turn three combats broke out because i was like already in his face i think um he spent a bit of time trying to reposition them um so that might have been a, a potential blunder, which I was able to capitalize on. Um, Easterlings being defense six across the board make it very hard to knock out pike supports, um, which is, again, excellent and I think came in very clutch. But, um, yeah, I think, oh, I think one of the key moments would definitely be a move I was able to pull off. I uh, was able to slingshot my Dragon Knight from a flank off a combat um, into his banner, knock down the banner, kill the banner. And um, yeah, it was that, was, that was probably a key moment for when the tides started tipping in my favor because being uh, fight five, even, even being fight five, with uh against elves and forcing the reroll it's still you know scary um yeah and elves basically live and die by their banners so taking that yeah. out having his dice rolls oh it was it was huge um and not to mention again having rutabi right in the middle of the scrap just meant that his heroes were that much less inclined to call strikes or to call uh, combats, you know, with Rutabi. I think Rutabi was matching some of the heroes' fight values with fight six. I believe mm -hmm. the Elven heroes would be fight six. Yeah, it was just put him in a difficult position, um, which was hard to navigate. But that was definitely a bloody, bloody battle. And I guess the yeah. the... the the headcanon theme was just the invasion of the North and, you know, Lothlorien going to war with uh, the Easterlings. 
I suppose any other army, in terms of the the way that the the matchup started up, any other army that loses two might out of the gates with a flash killed captain would be feeling that hurt a lot more than if you've got a Ratabi up your sleeve, being able to master of battle, and also make people think twice about spending that might. So good to have that, and I I love Jonathan just on that that you've you've come up with a head cannon for all of these matchups. Good. Maybe we'll have to be thinking about this uh, for our yeah. games, Geordie. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've been lacking. <laughs> You're kicking our ass. Yeah. So that was that was a great game. It was a bloody, bloody just like grind um, and a, like a meat grinder. Um, but we, we both thoroughly enjoyed it and we were both engaged and stuck in from the get-go. Yeah, just like lots of bodies and a lot of like strength three onto defense six. So it just would have taken a long while. The heroes did all the work. I can confirm that. I think as well, just having so many bodies with the Easterlings and not having a lot of archers, I'm able to commit my entire force to the front lines as opposed to when you have, say, you know, eight to ten archers who ten you're you're quite tempted to just have them mm. sit back and shoot but then you're severely outnumbered when it comes to the punch-on. Yeah, there's that classic push-pull of, do I put my archers in now or later? And if you just get rid of the archers, well, that conundrum's gone. Mm. You just throw yeah. it all in. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. So, yeah, game three, end of the day, we jump over to game four, which is on day two. So you've had a bit of a rest and recoup. How are we feeling? Um, to be honest, I was quite hungover for round four, um, <laughs> in, in classic tournament fashion. So I, I wasn't too sure how we were going to navigate this one. However, I was up against our faithful hero hobby of legend, uh, Matt Edwards and his wonderful, wonderful Mirkwood spiders. Um, I know this army has a special place in your heart, Albert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nightmare might be more uh, appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <term>. <laughs> the, the stuff of nightmares. I'm glad I've I've only ever, you know, had to, to look at it uh, sparingly uh, outside of a game. If I actually had to play against it, I would uh, probably just shake Matt's hand at the at the outset and say, uh, thanks for this. Um, this <laughs> is all you. Anyway, how did you fare against it, Johnny? Um, so we had the option between Fog of War Clash of Clash by Moonlight and Assassination. So when we were vetoing, I think my vetoing process was key to winning this. So looking at the vetoes, Fog of War, I do not want to be fighting spiders in a scenario of movement and holding things. So Fog of War did not seem that appealing to me. Um, next, Assassination. There was only one character I would need to assassinate on his board and that would be the spider queen which would be too elusive if he needed it to be um to worry about so then i thought oh what about clash by moonlight clash by moonlight is just a glorified punch on with better shooting however he didn't have his shooting attacks don't wound they just paralyze um and i've only got two bows so i thought using the terrain to my advantage i would be able to 
castle up and dictate the pacing of the game um, in basically a straight fight. So we got to the vetoing and we decided on Clash by Moonlight. I castled up between a few buildings and between a few fences um, and I basically forced him to use two turns of movement to get to me. Um, I positioned myself in such a way that um, he had to spread out quite thin in almost like a like a half moon around one quadrant of the table in order to engage me. Um, and I made sure that I had infantry in the back lines in between uh, terrain pieces to stop him landing a full spider base size in my back line. So I protected my back line. Um, my front line was just a solid pike uh, wall and all my heroes were together. This kind of ended exactly how you would have thought. Um, he spent a couple turns trying to get paralyzers off, but a six plus shoot is just not reliable enough. So he had to go in um, because there was a few turns where we were kind of just standing off and he was trying to throw out paralyzers, but I was not, um, I was not, taking his bait to come out of the castle. So I forced him in um, and basically, yeah, the meat grinder begun where he'd only be able to fit two or three spider bases in between the uh, terrain pieces. And I would be throwing like six to nine dice per combat. And with the fight five uh, on the black dragons, just winning everything and just killing the spiders in droves, um, I think was was quite difficult for, for Matt to keep up with. He ran his spiders in, and I think he was a little bit taken back by how much dice I was able to throw at him um, in the combats and how quickly his spiders were dying. Because, I mean, if, if spiders are able to play the movement game and, you know, catch one or two or three know infantry models off guard they'd have no problems like munching on them but a solid pike wall even if the front guys are paralyzed the back guys are still able to fight and help so there was another really key moment where i got i called a heroic move with my dragon knight um, and his posse of cataphracts went into the spiders and with the knockdowns and the charges they were just killing like one two three spiders a turn um on a flank and it was it was it was pretty ridiculous so yeah it came down to basically just like a punch on and the easterlings were too much of a solid rock to crack yeah the spiders would hate that so they're they're paralyzing on sixes but then to recuperate your models you're throwing three or four um to get back up so it's like yeah. he's going to get back up quicker than he's going to hit you. And then as soon as he hits combat, spiders are two wounds, so they normally can 1v1 most troops and not be worried. But every time he's fighting you, it's essentially a 3v1 where you can insta-kill him. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, one key note was my courage test rolling to charge was fucking hot. Like, <laughs> like my... like courage was like off the charts i i'm not trying to boast or gloat or anything but i think i might have failed 
two or three courage tests, um, two of which were, again, on the Black Dragon <laughs> night. But otherwise, like, I'd say, like, 90% of courage checks to get troops um, into combats was, yeah, it was just insane. Is the Queen a harbinger? She's not, is she? I so don't believe courage so. courage four, yeah. Yes. And, like, look, courage four is good, but it's not flawless. So the fact that you were still passing is pretty massive. Yeah. And it was, um, yeah, it was, oh, my goodness. Each time I passed a courage check, his his face dropped a little because they shouldn't be passing every single one. And as soon as you get an extra guy into base contact with a spider, that's an additional three dice you're rolling for combats. So the the combat's definitely stacked up. All right. So we're... We're on, what are we, 3-1 into the last round. How we feel in. And our, our head cannon for this one was, again, the invasion of the north. However, the Easterlings had to march through the Mirkwoods mm. and encountered the locals on their way to their siege. So that was the, that was the head cannon of expunging the local creatures and fauna of Mirkwoods. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was round uh, four. So currently three and one. Um, but I think the round four and round three were quite large victories, like eight zero and twelve zero. Ooh, that's where you really climbed the ranks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think just yeah, being able to force my opponents to play my game definitely benefited from yeah, it just benefited me greatly. Anyways, we're going to round five. Hey, so. Round five, it was a bit of a mirror match. It was Easterlings versus Easterlings. Um, I'll, I'll start with the headcanon here first because I think it's cool. Uh, my opponent uh, was running Easterlings, but a slightly different flavor to me. Um, he had Amdur and Rutabi and a Shaman and a whole bunch of Warriors and surprisingly, a swath of like 12 Archers like 12 Easterling bows, which he said were performing excellently for him. Um, and I don't doubt that. Um, so our headcanon for the battle was that Amdur was leading a coup uh, against the Dragon Emperor um, with uh, Rutabi's twin sister, let's say. And <laughs> the Dragon Emperor was having none of it and was here to stamp down this, this uh, rebellion. So. We had the choice between hold ground, divide and conquer, and reconnoiter. Um, we both had a drum, so recon was kind of out of it because that would be kind of boring. And then divide and conquer, I didn't really like the fact that there were. No, I just I just don't like the deployment. I I could not be bothered with the divide and conquer deployment. So we went for hold ground, which is the one objective in the middle with Maelstrom. Um, the game started interestingly. We I rolled quite hot for my deployments, so my army could come in um, together, except for the Black Dragonite, who was off on his own. And his rolls were about average, with most of his army coming on the same points, with Amdur rocking up a couple turns late. Um, we were playing on the Mordor board, so it was a it was like a cluster of rocks around the center and kind of open um, ground and open field towards the outskirts where we deployed. 
Um, he started shooting my pikes and was like killing, you know, one or two pikes a turn um, easily. And so I thought instead of chasing his, uh, instead of chasing his archers, I would simply uh, redeploy my entire army towards the center and just meet him in the center. So some uh like the, the ghost of Geordie's past was definitely speaking <laughs> to me <laughs> and saying don't go for the bait just reposition your whole army and with the drum and the march it is incredible how quickly you're able to do so um this was a pretty big highlight game for me because it ended up being my entire pike wall with the captain and Rutabi in the front line like staring down his whole army with his Rutabi and Shaman and Pike Wall in the middle about to fight over this central objective. And there was a couple turns where we weren't sure who was going to like pick the initial engagements, but I think it was on like turn five or six. Um, I made the, I made the charge. I had priority and I made the charge. And from there, things kind of, uh, the first round of combat between the pike walls was uh, pretty devastating, actually, because I had the captain and Rutabi right next to each other. And I had, you know, just some generic warriors fighting his Rutabi. Uh, the Dragon Emperor as the force multiplier in the back just meant that I was winning all the fights. And yeah. Rutabi and the captain who I was two-handing every single combat, they right. just they just chewed through all the troops much quicker than he anticipated. And with a few key uh, heroic combats, I was able to, yeah, whittle him down and, um, yeah, whittle him down and break him and claim the central objective as my own. So, Jonathan, would would it be safe to say that in this uh, outing, the the captain was perhaps an S tier hero? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's um, interesting because I heard some crap yeah, I... thrown around that <laughs> would say this, otherwise. This shitty YouTube channel the other day, and, and they had him in, in B tier for some reason. I just, yeah. He's got I, I so much some rookies not using him correctly. <laughs> I know, no, no, I know. And carry on, Jonathan. Carry on. The the fact that um yeah you've got the two handed axe with you know fight five uh supporting him it was just a really easy way to chew through high defense um troops and yeah we we got the victory by breaking and quartering him and. I think I killed his leader as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I killed Rutabi. And yeah, I was able to crush the coup and yeah. show Stamp it down. Show Middle Earth why the dragon emperor is the golden boy. Um, I have one more quick game question here. That little archer battalion, did they miss out on the first few turns of engagement? Sort of like how you mentioned earlier. They did, they did. Conundrum. Yeah, right. So he he had a his warband of archers and which was led by a captain with a bow. Um, they were moving half with the uh, drum supporting them, so they were moving like four and a half and still shooting. Um, but like the way I 
repositioned kind of uh, prevented a couple turns of shooting. And then as soon as we were in combat, his archers were then struggling to come to the fight. And by the time they were, by the time they got to the lines, um, it was already quite a mess for, for his formation. Um, so his, his archers did kill like, you know, six, seven troops, uh, from the start of the game, uh, which was great, but they just were a little bit slow to the, the central punch on. Yeah. It's always interesting. I just want to ask is like you mentioned earlier, having the archers not evolved in the combat could have been just as bad because it let you snowball that wank. And then by the time they arrived, then <clears throat> the numbers just aren't as helpful. But, yeah. I mean, they, if they killed five or six, it's probably a bit of a wash this game where the archers actually may have done enough. Just interesting. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So this, is, this is actually interesting. I didn't realize you played the Easterling player in the last game. Because uh, how did you go this tourney, Jono? So, um, surprisingly, I managed to podium. I came second at this tournament. um yeah i was very surprised um that i was able to come second i kind of took each game as they came and i wasn't too sure what was going to happen i was a little bit kind of um elated i'm not sure if that's the right word after the first game where it was just a grind um but I, i stuck to my guns um i knew what the army was capable of and what it liked to do so i tried to do that in each uh game as much as I could, uh, and it worked out for me for most of the games. Yeah, and it's and, pretty paid yeah. off. <clears throat> it certainly did. It certainly did. And I've, yeah, I've come, yeah, second to, who did I come second to? I think, Day, uh, was it yeah, David? David Leonard, who, I believe. Yeah, David won um, with his home Hammerhand list, which looked amazing um and yeah i was able to snatch up second place i think i was able to come second because of the vp differentials there were a few other guys who went four and one but i believe Mm -hmm. that my vp differential was very well was the was the highest not conceding any vps and gaining the most i think yeah because even your loss uh like you said was a a three five i think so yes yes it was a three five minor loss is is pretty huge because if you just went like oh and 12 in that first game it probably knocks you down a few pegs yeah definitely definitely but i was uh able to make it a hard one for (laughs) alex well that's incredible an incredible result jonathan congratulations now when we were talking before the tournament you mentioned that you were not uh you know, a keen uh, or highly, highly competitive player. Is this like the the best tournament result or have you podiumed at uh, tournaments in the past? This is the best tournament result I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. Well, I'm glad that we got it on record on the bloody podium. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. Representing the Two Towers podcast. So um, I'm sure the Two Towers podcast will have quite a few podiums under its belt. For this year, at least. And you know what? You've uh, you bloody you've earned the paint job, Jono. You, you oh, thank you. Well I, think, I think it's a paint job that did me that uh, got me to second place. 
Uh, yeah, distracting all of your opponents with uh, such beautiful images. Very good. Very good. Yes. Now, the, the reason I mentioned it was interesting that you versed the Eastling player in the last round was the he actually ended up coming, I think, about 15. So I guess this goes to show how cutthroat that round five can be. Definitely. Because I believe going into that round five, he would have been three and one, and I was also three and one. But the VP differential, um, maybe his previous games were quite tight. Uh, which he did say that like all of his previous games were, you know, by the needle. Um, so then maybe having this major loss um, must have, yeah, skewed things uh, quite drastically. Um, yeah, you're really pushing down. And the other thing I wanted to mention was, I mean, this wasn't just like the army listed all the work here, Jono, because um, there were, like, like we said, there was another Eastling player. There was also another Dragon Emperor player. Uh, and no offense to this player, but they ended up coming about 20th, which I think is still mid-rung. Um, but it just goes to show that it wasn't just a fluke or it wasn't just like you've taken the broken list here. You've, uh, you've earned top spot. Thank you. Thank you. I wouldn't have been able to do it without our practice session in the hyperbolic time chamber. Yeah. <laughs> we put in uh, a year's worth of work in one afternoon. Uh, it was a good effort. Yeah. No, and it's good. It sounds like you you applied the stuff that I was sort of saying as well. I mean, you were picking the fight on your terms. You weren't caving to minor bow pressure or in, in the spider case, like minor venom pressure. So it's, yeah. it's pretty well done. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Jordy, is, is this like a stretch goal that you add on to your uh, commission paving up? <laughs> I'll paint you an army and I'll also show you how to podium with it. Yep, yep. That's it. That's it. That's the uh that's the extra five hundo. So <laughs> you can you can Venmo me tonight, Jono. That'd be great. We'll do. For an extra four ninety nine, you too can yeah. podium. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Maybe I'll sign myself up for a Geordie Commission army. <laughs> oh, that'll cost yeah. you a grand now, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> It's going to take more than one <laughs> afternoon to fix this. <laughs> <laughs> Moving beyond your own uh, awards, though, Jono, we do have a podcast award to give out, the the most coveted award of all, the Hobby Hero of Legend. Tell our dear listeners, who did you pick for um, the Hobby Hero this episode? This episode, I decided to give it to none other than Jacob the tournament organizer and creator of Conquest Creations. Um, simply for the well-run, well-organized uh, event, as well as the absolute plethora, um, an absolute just, oh, it was, it was like Christmas came early. There were so many uh, prizes for absolutely everyone, from 3D sculpts to bits of terrain and, um, heaps of prizes and I just felt that his um, I felt that his uh, preparation um, and execution of the tournaments um, was something to like something really noteworthy um, it just everything ran really smoothly and from the way he you know uh, carried himself and the way he interacted with everyone and was really just a 
um, taking the hobby to the to the next level with all these awesome prizes, um, I, I felt was really really inspiring because, yeah, I, I think he managed to put it together um, quite single. Uh, he, he put it together by himself for the most part. Um, and yeah, he's just, I, I got the feeling that um, I do believe that he definitely went uh, an extra mile for this tournament, uh, especially with the prizes. So, yeah. yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's great to see. Obviously, Jacob has put in a lot of work um, with, you know, running his own business and, and YouTube channel, but um, he also um, very much gives back to the local community, which is awesome to see because he, not only does he obviously do it for his tournament, but he also sponsors other tournaments um, with their prize pool to make sure that there's always, um, you know, great incentives for people to to come along and, and have a go. So you mentioned that there were a whole heap of um, awards that were given out. Were there any particular awards um, that went beyond just the straight gaming that kind of stood out to you in terms of what was on offer or were they all kind of, you know, best painted and, and the usual suspects? Um, most of them were the usual suspects. Mm. Um, but just the fact that everyone who came to the tournament got like a, like a, a Rohan house or oh wow uh, three yeah yeah everyone everyone who came to the tournament got either a rohan house or some sort of 3d printed hero model wow. like uh not That's to mention so cool. his swag not to mention his like swag bags which came with um a little uh six inch measuring widget a dice tray or like a dice roller as well as um yeah i think everyone got like a 3d printed gilgalad um and yeah everyone got a 3d printed like rohan house so just there was so much swag for everyone that's great so th those rohan houses i'm assuming those were from his um the the conquest creations kickstarter that was, was recently launched i think kingdoms of saxonia which um was a raving success and i've had a look at those 3d prints before they are beautiful sculpts um and paint Correct. up really really well and a lovely thing about that as well i'm assuming here is that you know now that everyone in the community has a building if we're ever kind of short on terrain for a a, a um a tournament down the road people can kind of pitch in bring a couple of buildings and you can hobble exactly. together a couple of extra tables fairly easy at a stretch um, as well. Yeah. Well, many That's hands really cool. make light work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, um, so that, that's, that's an incredible, um, incredibly generous, um, set of prizes. So I think you've, you've made the right choice, uh, with the, the hobby hero of legend there. Mm. We don't have a very strict set of criteria. And so every time that we kind of explain to other people, how we, um, make the decision, it's kind of, we, we give them a bunch of pointers, but then we kind of give a, a caveat at the end say, but ultimately you just kind of have to go with your gut feel, um, and, and see what happens on the day, which sounds like you followed that advice to the T and the, the right person um, got that uh, Hobby Hero of Legend award at the end. Mm. Uh, and just, just to pump up his tires even more, it's not, he didn't just give out a house to everyone. For first and second, he gave out like an entire set of Kingdom of Saxonia, like walls and fortresses. Oh, and wow. like the Great Hall. So it's, yeah, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> 
That's but awesome. yeah, I definitely, yeah, definitely reckon he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Um, because often with these tournaments where Jordy uh, and I have talked about this in the past where, you know, when we're running our tournament, we want to keep the ticket price as low as possible so that, you know, cost of entry is not the barrier for people to come to a tournament. And the that that has the potential to limit the prize pool that you can bring to a tournament. But with the advent of 3D printing and, um, you know, the relatively low overhead cost that, you know, goes into printing those um, beautiful sculpts, uh, it means that TOs and, and sounds like Jacob has nailed this one, uh, are really able to expand the variety of prizes that they can give out. And it's not just standard Games Workshop uh, products, which, you know, in dollary dues don't go as far as um, 3D prints do. I uh, absolutely agree, yeah. All right, brilliant. Well, uh, a well-deserved hobby hero to uh, Jacob Lucas. Uh, and uh, thanks for representing the two towers to such a high pedigree, Jono. I can only uh, I can only follow in your footsteps, mate. <laughs> and we'll get Albert there one day too. <laughs> oh, no, wow. you're dreaming. You are dreaming. There needs to be balance on the podcast, Jonathan. There needs to be someone who represents all of those, uh, such as myself, that struggle at tournaments we can't all be podium <laughs> winners and I, I will give voice to all of the uh players uh down at the bottom of the of the tournament with me we'll uh we'll, uh, we'll carry on the good fight wonderful well thanks so much for having me on guys it's uh been a blast and i hope it's all come out wonderfully certainly has and uh, at this rate mate you'll be replacing us uh sometime fairly soon so uh dear listeners uh stay tuned you might hear from jonathan yeah. at uh, future tournaments you'll be getting some high quality interviews with jono around that's for sure <laughs> all right brilliant thanks for that mate uh thanks guys well damn jono pulling pulling his weight yeah the first run of the Easterlings, and he comes out second. It's pretty pretty good showing, I would say. I think that's very bloody good. Especially uh, like when we were talking about the practice games mm. that he had, he had he didn't do great. <laughs> he had a few uh, few times where I think even the Dragon Emperor went down. So he obviously learned what not to do in mm. his practice games. Well, it was good because he's the very first one was against me. And yeah. I basically laid out exactly what he should be doing with it all. Yeah. But it was it's that sort of thing where you've got to see it firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. he ran yeah. his captain, you know, headlong into something, he got obliterated, he goes, I know not to do that. Yeah. Or in the in the his second practice where the Emperor did go down, he had the Emperor just like holding an entire corridor right. against like three Uruk heroes or something, and now he knows, All right, that doesn't work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why you always have practice games before you go into the tournament mm. if you want to do well, well. i mean <laughs> my excuse for not doing well is that i don't do yeah there's no excuse for my poor performance <laughs> but no. No. <laughs> and 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 jono doesn't like count himself as a, as a competitive player quote unquote so to have to have done as well as he did i reckon it's a bloody good effort very good effort
yeah, definitely be happy with that result. Um, I think uh, beyond just the uh, performance on the tabletop, though, uh, Jono's performance with a microphone is outstanding oh, as well. He was an absolute champion. I think he, he's coming for our jobs. I was going to say, if we're not careful, uh, we'll be replaced sooner than we might. I think. mean, uh, unlucky for Jono, there's not there's no money in it. But <laughs> <laughs> if he wanted to, the glory, the yeah. fame. <laughs> Yes, no, it was really, really love. It's it's actually, it's really nice sitting uh, behind the computer editing and hearing somebody else's interview and somebody mm-hmm. else's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cool. And uh, look, you know, if there's anyone else out there that's interested in becoming a future correspondent, let us know. Yeah, yeah, I think Jono was an absolute freaking unit on the day. Mm. Um, and yeah, listening to his interviews... It's it sort of like made it a bit more fresh, like sort of the stuff that we deliver. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Albert, we've got one final thing to do this episode. Yeah, that's right. This is my this is becoming my new favorite yeah. uh, segment. I mean, obviously, Hobby Hero is the best, but this one's also very fun. Shall we peer into the Palantir? You know this. Huh. I have seen it. A Palantir is a dangerous tool, Saruman. Why? Why should we fear to use it? They are not all accounted for, the lost seeing stones. We do not know who else may be watching. Um, Yeah, so this one is uh, a freshie. I've yes. only just come across these guys yes. uh, by virtue of uh, Damo posting in the in the Geelong crew. It's funny, I had actually half-watched the video that oh, Damo no posted up um, before he did. So, clearly the algorithm has kind of spoken mm. and um, we therefore must obey and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and give a shout-out to these guys. So, Jordy, do you want to um, tell us who it is this time? Yeah, so they're called Two Trees Gaming. Yep. Now, I, I'm not too sure what they're referencing. Maybe maybe we've got the White Tree of Gondor, or maybe it's the Silmaril trees. Possibly. Or maybe it's not even Lord of the Rings related. Maybe t- the two towers was taken, and they ah, were like, damn. Damn it. What's, what's like a tower? Trees. Yep, two trees. Lock it in, Eddie. <laughs> um, so, these guys have... I mean, at time of recording, they've only got like the one battle report out. Yeah. But they have gone... The next level with their yeah. production, yeah, and I think it's terrific. Yeah, they've got like the full, uh, like HUD heads up display of like each of their um, characters and their current statistics in terms of might. Yeah, or fate that was really that good. Like the really might cool. on the side of it, yeah. and they just combined the whole army's worth of might and was just like, here it is. We've yeah. got eleven out of thirteen or something. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 you know, and even even just like that, they were keeping tally of the victory points throughout the whole mm. um, game, which is great because you could kind of see when it swung in one person's yep. favour. And, yep. you know, so it, it added to the tension of the battle report, yeah. which I think is really important because often you that's probably one of the harder parts to convey in a video battle report mm. is that kind of intensity or tension building to the yep. end. And yeah, this, this is at the level of detail that I think that I would like to see more of, like mm. across... Um, all the other sort of battle report type channels. I mean, it's more effort, 
but it it made it so much better. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like there was just it was a lot more interesting to follow. Yeah, because definitely. you're right. There was tension because we could see one player was winning for quite a while until yeah. a certain big maneuver happened and everything sort of started swinging and. Then having track of that might, you can see, oh, this dude's running dry. You yeah. know, it's about to come undone. Yeah. Or yeah. every time they showed like a hero and it flipped up with their how many, how much might, will, and fate they've got, and you're like, oh shit, yeah, this is getting close. And especially when because it, it's got Gilgalad in there, so he does the old blood and glory and gets <laughs> a might back, and so those kind of things for newer players as well. I think it's quite good for newer players to watch yeah. that kind of yep. battle report so that they can kind of get a sense of what is important in a Lord of the Rings game. Like you know, even though one side is being killed, they were still winning for yeah. the majority of the game. And and like statistically, they probably maybe should have won. Yeah, but when you watch it, you'll see. Yeah, but there was even a point in time where a player calls a particular like series of heroic actions, like they yeah. called two heroic combats yeah. specifically because they wanted this one to go second and stuff like that. Yeah, and they did a full like s- stopped it, did a little diagram, showed yeah. everyone, and I was like, "That's really cool" because that was like a next level move. It was a next level move, and it was like it was almost better explained than some of the rules in the rule book. Yeah. <laughs> Like it, True. Was, it was really, really clearly um, articulated. So that was that was really cool. Um, I think uh, it's one of those you know early days. So I hope that they can yes. keep the momentum up. Yeah. I think it's run by three brothers. So I hope you know that that to me says that there's probably uh, enough momentum just yeah. you know egging each other on. Kind yeah, of thing. and they're going to have a few teething issues. Um, but oh. I think they're starting from a good position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, they're maybe coming to it the same way we did, where we're just like, we want to hone in and go hard yeah. and do it well. Yeah. And hopefully we can figure out all the, the nuts and bolts along the way. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely going about it the right way. And I, and I think the, the next, they're also going to be doing different types of uh, videos as well. Because I think they mentioned the next one was going to be more of a kind of a tawny blog style yeah. approach. So I'm really interested to see where the two trees gaming two trees gaming goes yeah brilliant and i think that's it for today yeah that about wraps it up so until next we're together dear listener have fun hobbying have fun gaming see See you later. later